The very first thing we need to do, I want to start off today, I'm going to tell you a couple of little stories. Uh, I think the, one of these stories is so awesome. And uh, this story is about a gentleman that was miraculously healed of a back injury just recently. Uh, his name was uh, Gary Young, Dr. Gary Young. And he was up in uh, Canada uh, just recently, and he is telling people about his miracle from God. As he, as he sets up these seminars to teach about his products, and one of the men in our church was there at this seminar, and he heard him because he's involved in these uh, products that they sell. And he was there, and he heard this testimony. And he said, the testimony, Thurman, when I heard it, was even greater than the night. Of course, he was the first man that Gary called, and that man called us. And then I told him to have Gary call me. And later that night when Gary called me, I prayed the prayer of faith for him. And the Lord instantly healed him. But I didn't know, since I can't see inside of people's body, but he said last uh, or a few weeks ago when he was in Canada giving this demonstration of, of his products and stuff, he told the people about his miracle of healing in his back and how it happened. And he had pictures. And this is what's so awesome. When he went in to the doctor to have his back x-rayed after he was healed, after the pain went away and he could walk, they took pictures. And the pictures show that the vertebrae in the lower part of his back, a place about a half inch, there is no visible vertebrae there. It will not show up on x-ray. When the doctors saw it, they told him, don't dare bend over because there's nothing to hold your back up. But he, he said, you've got to be in pain. He said, I'm in no pain and I can bend fine. But according to the x-ray and the CAT scans or everything they do, there is no disc in his back. Isn't that awesome? What can God do? Exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think or imagine. You know, it's so awesome what God can do. You know, I can only, I can only imagine what we could do and what we could get the Lord to do if we just believe. But uh, I got the same problem. You know, unfortunately, there's areas that uh, I have not been able to overcome in my own life. You know, I prayed for a lot of people, and some of them don't get healed, and not instantly. Some of them get healed instantly. Many of them do, but others it takes time. I don't know why. You know, I really don't know why. But I do know that God's a healer, and I know He's doing wonderful things. So, anyway, praise God. Welcome to the healing school today. We're going to start off here with, I want you to know that, first of all, the, the greatest enemy that we have is unbelief or lack of knowledge of the promises of God. Because I worked, I walked for the first 40 plus years of my life uh, in a Christian home, walking obedience to the Word, going to church, accepted Jesus as my Savior at 11, uh, all those things. Uh, really never got out there in the world in this wild, violent sins that nearly everybody today lives in. I didn't never go there. You know, I'm so grateful that I didn't go there. But still, I was sick. I had all kinds of problems, you know, down in my back, uh, you know, double pneumonia, you name it, migraine headaches, sinus problems, all there, you know. Why? Because I didn't know who the enemy was. 
I didn't know when he'd come at me and attack me. I didn't know I had power over him. I didn't know how to kick him out. And so I was beat up on by the devil pretty severely, but yet I had no idea this was the enemy. But I began to read this wonderful book we call the Bible. And as I began to read this book, I began to find out that under the Old Covenant, the Lord promised the people under the Old Covenant over and over and over again as I read the Scriptures that if you will obey me and do everything I tell you to do, I will take all sickness and disease away from you and you will have none. Well, I saw that throughout the Scriptures. And throughout the Scriptures, when people sinned, of course, it opened the door to the devil and he came in like a flood and he wiped them out with sickness and disease. Then I came to the beginning of the New Testament. And now I saw the beginning of this new covenant that he had been talking about all through the old. He was going to make a new covenant with his people. And under this new covenant, he was going to bear our sins and his sickness and disease himself. And then we wouldn't have to be subject to them. And I thought, this is too good to be true. You know, this is really too good to be true. He began to explain that to us in Isaiah and several other of the uh, prophets. He began to explain those things to us. And then when we come to the New Testament, here we got this man, this holy man, this man of God with no sin in his life that walks upon the earth. And he has no sin in his life. And with no sin in his life, the devil has no legal claim to him. Now, you don't hear much about the devil in the Old Testament. Very little about the devil in the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes on the scene, that's his ministry starts out day one, almost in verse one, that the devil and him are in a clash, and there's a conflict, and the devil's doing everything he can to Jesus, and Jesus, I mean, the devil manifests in a human being right in church, day one. First time he walks into church, a devil, a demon in a man, raises up and said, we know who you are, you're the son of God. And you think, why did this happen now? Never has happened before. Well, the reason it's never happened before is because the devil had legal claim to every human on the earth. But now he's got a holy man that he don't have claim to, so he's trying to get him to believe and get the people to believe that he's God, and so since he's God, he can't do nothing on the earth. But he's not God. He's man. Yeah, he was God, okay. But he had laid down his deity 100% and became 100% man. When he became 100% man, a man had power and authority, and since that man had no sin in his life, the devil could do nothing to him, couldn't touch him. So when he spoke to him and commanded him to come out in the name of Jesus, the devil had to obey him. And they begin to see tremendous manifestations of the devil in church. People do not realize that that's our problem today. We have demons living in us. And these demons get in because of sin. Now, who knows how many of those things that you're going to accumulate as you live a life of sin. But you're going to accumulate multitudes of them. You're not going to get one or two. You know, you take the two men that lived in the Gadarenes. Jesus cast out a legion out of those two men. Now, we don't know how many demons actually were in those men, but we do know that there was more than 2,000 because there was at least 2,000 hogs there. And when he commanded the demons that came out, they went into the hogs. And who knows, there might have been one or ten or fifty went into each one of them hogs, and it drove those hogs down into the sea, and they ran into the sea and drowned it. Now, how in the world, when Jesus 
was confronting these men when he says, What is your name? They said, Our name is Legion, for we are many. Well, a legion back in those days was 6,000. I heard some people say it's 2,000, but I'm the, script, the interpretation of what the word legion meant back in that day, the one I read, said 6,000. So regardless of whether it's 2,000 or 6,000, it's a bunch. It's a bunch. So we won't argue about the little differences there. We do know that the Scripture says 2,000 hogs ran down into the sea and were drowned when Jesus cast out the demons. So, if you get involved in sin, whatever it may be, depending on... And today, where the world lives today, I mean, the unclean demons that are running around out there, can you, you only imagine a group of perverted homosexuals that are getting together doing all the stupid things they're doing, can you only imagine the multitudes of unclean demons that people have? Now, there ain't no telling. There ain't no telling how many they got. But they're going to have problems and sickness and disease. It's going to bring AIDS to them. They're going to die early. And people that die with AIDS, that is the most horrible death. I mean, horrible death, the way those people die. Well, that's demons that kill them. But... That doesn't fit us as Christians today. We're not going to go out and do those kind of things. But we get sick and afflicted too. Why? Again, because of sin. And I think one of the greatest sins today that brings sickness and disease to the church is our lack of putting God first. I don't think we put God first. I know I say I think. I know we don't. I know we don't spend enough time with the king. You know, how many people do I ask, well, do you go to church? Yes, how often? Well, not often enough. I hear that real regular. You know, I mean, it's just it's people that just don't realize the importance of putting God first. You know, yeah, we'll go home and we'll work a hard day at work and we'll never talk about Jesus. Uh, you know, we won't even read His Word. We won't think about it. We won't pray over our meals or nothing. And we come home in the afternoon and... As a man and your wife has made you a dinner or something and you sit down with her maybe and have an evening meal or whatever and then you go down and plop yourself down in front of the TV with the Dallas News and you read for an hour or two as you watch uh, football or whatever till 10 o'clock you watch the 10 o'clock news and finally at 11 o'clock you go to bed. You know, and uh, you didn't read no word, didn't think about God or nothing, but yet next Sunday it's time to go to church. Maybe. You know, if it's not nice weather. If it's nice weather, we go to the lake. We go to Sunday when it's, you know, a little dreary weather or whatever. Can't go to the lake, can't go fishing. Those kind of people are going to come down with sickness and disease. I can guarantee you. Because they're not putting God first. Well, when you begin to understand the importance of putting God first and you start putting Him first, you can still have sickness and disease if you're not careful because the enemy will come by to you and I'll, I'll tell you another story right here about a story a man just shared with me just this week. He's a, he said, I was a man that loved God, went to church, and he was a uh, assembly of God, I believe it was, or Pentecostal or whatever. Uh, he married a little woman that was a Baptist. And, uh, of course, when he married her, he knew that what he knew, she didn't know none of these things because they didn't teach them to her in the church she went to. So she knew a lot about salvation, but the rest of it she didn't know much about because they just don't teach it. So anyway, he said, when I got married, he said, we'd go to church, and my wife went to the Assembly of God with me, and we, I think they had three or four or five children, whatever, over the next few years. And uh, they got older, and as they did, you know, he loved God, went to church, but church on Sunday. 
You know, maybe on Wednesday night, but, you know, he's working the rest of the time. He's not studying the Word. And then he said he knew God called him to come go into a healing ministry. He just knew that. His wife had the same feelings. But he said, nah, I ain't got time to do this. I don't have time, you know, to get involved and study the Word to learn how to be a healing minister. Well, if God calls you to do something, if you don't do it, you're in trouble. You know it? And so sickness and disease began to come to his body. When the sickness and disease began to come to his body, he said somebody told him, said, uh, you know, you need to listen to this CD I've got about this Baptist guy. And he said, a Baptist guy about healing? He said, yeah. He said, forget it. Them Baptists don't know nothing about healing. So he said, I wouldn't even listen to it. So I wouldn't take it. See, so, see we're, we're unfortunately, us as Baptists, we're known because we don't believe in these mighty miracles of God. So we're known like that. We're known to be the... Teachers of salvation, but you know when he gets to the rest of it, well, you know demons and sickness and healing and all that stuff. You know, well, we don't, we're not very involved in that at all, and we're known like that. You know, we're we're known once saved, always saved. The Baptists are known for that. Let me tell you, that ain't true either. I guarantee, I've learned that's not true either. So we've made a lot of mistakes as Baptists. People argue with me on that, but that's okay. That's okay. But anyway, this guy. He said that uh, he was standing in church. I mean, just think, he's standing in church with his hands worshiping and praising God. Now, he's got a, a problem, a hemorrhoid problem, what it is, and he's bleeding. He has a problem bleeding. And he said, I'm standing there worshiping and praising God, and all of a sudden, I'm just praising and worshiping God. And all of a sudden, I felt a warmth come right down and just hit me right on top of my head, go right down, right down through my whole body. And he said, man, I knew I was healed. That's it. God touched me right there. He said, I had a supernatural feeling. and said, no more blood, no more hemorrhoids. Everything's perfect. He said, I went along for six months. Everything's perfect. He said, somebody, can, I believe it was somebody was, had, had told him about me, and I'm not sure that this is where he come into this or not. But anyway, as we talked about this, he said, I've now for sure learned about how you teach about how demons always come back for a counterattack. And he said, I didn't know much about this. At the time, but he said six months after this, one day I went to the bathroom when I got up the stool was full of blood. I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, am I in trouble. So he said, I called my wife. She's a nurse. She immediately set up an appointment with him with a doctor. And he went to a doctor. The doctor checked him. The doctor said, this is bigger than me. You're going to have to go to a specialist. But you may definitely have a problem. He said, I walked out of that room. said that they made me an appointment with another doctor. He said, I walked out of that room. I walked out of that hospital. And I stopped out there and I said, Lord, I know you healed me six months ago. It's a done deal. If you heal me, I'm healed. There's no doubt in my heart. It's done. I don't care what kind of symptoms I had. I don't care. I don't know what brought these on. But if I'm healed, I'm healed, and I ain't going to another doctor. I'm just going to go back to work, and I'm going to have no more problems in the name of Jesus. He said, to this day, years later, I have never had a reoccurrence of a drop of blood come out of my body. Now, see, he believed God. See, here's what the Lord tells us in his word. In James 4, 7, he tells us, submit yourself to me, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In James 4, 7. Now then, I don't think we understand. We read that. We even got that memorized. 
but we don't know what it means. If we submit ourselves to God, then that means we're His children, we know Him, we love Him, we read His Word every day, we go to church, we praise Him, we thank Him, and everything we do, we sit down to eat or drink something, we praise Him and thank Him for it, we give Him the glory for everything we do every day of our life. Not just when we feel like it. It becomes a routine way of life for us as Christians to give God the glory. Every day. Do nothing except in prayer and thanksgiving. Everything by prayer and thanksgiving. So when you start doing that, you've submitted yourself to the Lord. Now then, you remind the devil, when you've submitted yourself to God, the revelation will come that he bore your sickness and removed your disease. So if the Word of God makes this promise, of course, he told us this in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. When you go back to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, if he bore your pain and he bore your sickness, then, you know, you have to stop and think about it like this. If Jesus said he was going to do that in Isaiah 53, 750 years before the coming of Christ, and then when Jesus came on the scene 700 plus years later, and then he wrote for us in Matthew 8, 16, and 17. Matthew 8, 16, and 17 says, When evening was come, he went about casting out devils with his word and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. And this was to fulfill what was written by Isaiah the prophet himself. You might get your Bible and open it to Matthew eight seventeen and just see if your Bible says this. Because you need, if you don't know these scriptures, you need them hidden in your heart. Because if you want to walk in divine health, you're going to have to learn who the enemy is. And you're going to have to learn how to overcome this beast. And the only way you can overcome him is with the written word of the living God. If you don't have this word hidden in your heart, you don't stand on this word yourself. I can assure you, if you don't stand on it and claim these promises every day, many times a day... I'm going to guarantee you, you will not be able to walk in divine health. And that's where we all want to walk, is in divine health. You don't want to have to receive healing. You want to walk in divine health. That's where you want to walk. and that's where. They, but it definitely takes some effort to do it. I mean, it takes effort. Lots of it. You know, so... But in Matthew 8, 17, it says, This was to fulfill what was written by Isaiah the prophet... Himself, Jesus, bore your sickness and removed your disease. Or He bore your infirmities and removed your disease. Now, if Jesus... Think about this. I used to think about this when I'd read it. I think if Jesus Himself, if He bore or took away my sickness and removed my disease, then why in the world do I have it? You ever stop to think about that? You know, logically, as an engineer thinking, I'm thinking about if he redeemed me, and he says he did, but if he bore my sickness and he removed my disease, then why in the world do I have to be sick too? There's not any use in me and Jesus both having to be sick. If he bore my sickness and removed my disease, and why don't I just say, Lord, I'm going to let you have it. You can, you can take it. Since you've already bore it, and you've already paid the price for my sickness and disease, then there's no use in me having to bear it too. 
So, Lord, by faith, I am receiving that promise. That by your stripes, I am healed. I'm going to walk in obedience to your word. And so, from this day forth, I'm never going to be sick again. Now then, did he say that in Matthew eight seventeen? Did he say himself? Himself, Jesus? He bore your sickness or your infirmities and removed your disease? Did he really say that? Well then, if he done it for you, if Jesus done that for you, then why in the world do you and I have to be sick today? Well, the reason we're sick today is because we really don't know and believe these promises. You know, I mean, the Lord tells us lots of things to do in His Word, and we don't believe Him. We do not believe Him. Now then, I'll tell you something that's one of the hardest things in the world for me to overcome. I mean, and I, you're going to see it in your own self. Just like yesterday... Yesterday, I'm out trying to buy parts and get stuff done, trying to get some cars going, trucks going, and all kinds of stuff, trying to get stuff for the house and all kinds of stuff, and I'm all over the place running and everything, and I called a little girl, or it happened to be a little girl, at a parts house, and I had a list, and I told her what I wanted, everything. And she had everything but one hose. I said, no, and told me what it costs, everything. So I said, okay, no problem. I said, put all that on that list. Pull all those parts, and I'll be right over there to get them. I got over and walked in. Nobody knew about it. Now, I didn't take my list back with me again. Now, i got to remember this list from memory. I walked in, and I said, well, I want to know who the girl was I talked to. Well, they finally found her. And she remembered some of the things, and I remembered some of the things, but there was about five items on my list they didn't have at all. You know? Now, you know what we do when we go like that? None of y'all like me. I start to walk out the door and I'm thinking to myself, well, see if I ever come back in this place again. No, 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 I'm sure none of y'all ever done that but me, right? <laughs> I'm sure y'all say, oh, praise God. Thank you for all these bre- wonderful tests and trials, Lord. Bless your holy name. I'm just walking in love. No, it's so easy to get off grumbling and complaining, isn't it? It's too easy. So I'm having to catch myself. Oh, Lord, I repent. I repent. <laughs> Lord, as soon as they come out of my mouth, of course, I'm just lightly saying this as I go out the door. I don't want nobody to hear me say. But then I walk over to the electric place. I called the electric house and I said, do you have a heater? And the guy said, yeah. And I said, I need a 1,500-watt electric, 115-volt uh, wall heater. He said, no problem. I got one. I said, how much is it? He said, $33. I said, good. I'll be right over to get it. I go over and I walked in. I said, you got that heater? He said, uh, what heater? I said, the electric 1500 watt, 115 volt that I called about, in wall heater. Nobody even knew what I was talking about. So I go over and look it up in the book. And I mean, same company. You know, I mean, I've been there lots of times, so I'm not at the wrong place. They finally find the heater. He brings it up and puts it up there. And he says, there it is. That's what you wanted? I said, that's what I wanted. Wall heater, 1500 watts. That's it. Broom, same company name, everything. And he said, that's $55.40. I said, $55? Where's the $33? Well, I don't know who you talked to, but said it's $55. I said, it's getting to where you can't talk to nobody that knows what they're doing anymore. By this time, I'm almost right here. Anybody ever get there? Any of y'all ever had this problem besides me? 
so I thought to myself, okay, $55. I'll pay the $55. And I walked out the door and I thought, Lord, how easy it is just to... Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I wanted to just reach up and grab them two guys and say, what are you guys doing? You know, but you know you can't do that. <laughs> how easy is it to step into grumbling and complaining? How many of us have done that? Anybody done that this morning since you come to work? Or before you got here this morning? <laughs> Some of you have this morning. That's so easy for us to do. Well, do you know that in Philippians 2.14, the Lord says, do all... In fact, somebody turn to Philippians 2.14 and see what he said to do and what not to do in Philippians 2.14. And see if this could possibly have any effect on us being sick or afflicting us. The average person will say, that couldn't make me sick. But let me tell you, it can. Guarantee, Philippians 2.14. I want you to turn to Philippians 2.14, and I want you to read, and I want you to see what the Lord said you and I are supposed to do, and I want you to find out that virtually none of us do this. It's so difficult, and I know it's in there, and I have as much trouble as anybody else. And yesterday, I was put to the test time after time after time. It's tough. You know, I mean, it's tough. What does Philippians 2.14 say? Uh-oh, somebody laughed. Three or four people laughed. Now, you must have read that. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Oh, do how many things? All things. Now, wait, what does all mean? Oh, my goodness gracious, that means we're all in trouble, don't it? Do all things without murmuring or grumbling and complaining. Now, how many things am I supposed to do without grumbling and complaining? Now, if I keep grumbling and complaining, if I don't repent, if I do step off into that world of grumbling and complaining, and how many of you done that before? If you don't hold up your hand, I know you're lying. You know? So that's why I had both of mine up. I want to make sure the Lord knows. I, I, Lord, I ain't lying. At least I'm saying I know, I know I grumbled and complained every once in a while. But we've seen this many times. You know, we've seen many times that when people grumble and complain, it will bring sickness and disease to you. Now then, it will attack you in the area you're using to grumble and complain with. You know, whatever it is. My honey buddy's holding her hand up up here. We, we, we went up the other day to Omaha, and they didn't put the tapes out like she wanted them or something, and so she done a little grumbling and complaining. And I'm telling you, the devil hit her in the throat. He attacked her. She hadn't had a problem like this since we'd been married, but boy, he hit her in the throat. And so all you can do is say, Lord, I repent and pray. And, see, and the Lord, you know... <clears throat> I think about the times, you know, that God told us what to do in His Word, and we don't do what He says. You know, He tells us, he tells us to love one another, doesn't He? I command you to love one another. You know how hard it is to walk in love to all people all the time? Almost impossible. Because, you know, another thing Jesus told us in Luke 17, He said, it is impossible. Now, wait a minute. If Jesus said it's impossible then you can be assured that these things are going to happen. He said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. How many of you have ever been offended in your life? Every one of you. You've been offended because somebody didn't meet up to your expectations. You know, that's what an offense is. 
I told my son the other day, I said, son, I am trying my best to get to the point where I expect nothing of nobody. But you know you can't get there? You know that? I've tried it. You cannot get there. You know, you just can't have a, reach a point where you expect nothing from no one. You can't live there. I found out that's impossible. That's impossible also. Jesus told us it's impossible except the fences will come. So when the fences come, you just got to get over them. You know, they're going to happen. They're going to happen between everybody you know. I mean, even the ones that are closest to you, your wife, your children, you know, the people that work with you. I mean, they're going to do things that you're not going to like at times or you would have thought they could have done something different. And probably the same way with you, you know. They expect you... Like I've told many people, I've told this many times. When Cheryl used to be a member of my church, going to my church, she looked up there and said, I wondered what it would be like to be married to a perfect man. I mean, here is a holy man of God. He must be perfect. Well, she married me and found out I'm far from perfect. You know, so when you live with someone after you get married, then you find out they ain't perfect. They're a human being. You all know where I'm coming from? All of you went with your mate, your husband, your spouse, your whatever. You went with him probably quite a while. You know, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, some of you. And then you got married. So even to those of you that went together four or five years, just like Cheryl's daughter the other day, uh, Christy, her and her husband went together for like five or six years or something. A long, long time. Never had a disagreement of no kind. And they got married. And the other day, she was telling us, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. We had our first serious disagreement. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Isn't it amazing how they could go together for five years and not have a serious disagreement? And then get married, and then one day, bam, they had a disagreement. And you know what happened? I'll just tell you. If it's... Christy told me, she said, I am running a restaurant now, and technically speaking, these are not the words she used, but I'm using those, she's slowly becoming a little dictator. Because she's running a restaurant. You know, she's got somebody, she said, you go do this, you go do this, you know, you do, see, she's becoming a dictator. And that's, that's just the way life is when you run a business. You know, you have to tell people what to do, right? That's just the way of life. But see, now then, becoming a dictator, her husband was there the other day, and she said, you go do this. Now, wait a minute. Husbands don't like to be told by their wives what to do. How many of you husbands know that? You know, you like for your wife to ask you to do something, and then you make a decision and see if you're going to do it. But when she starts dictating to you, go do this, and after about the third or fourth time, that's it. He lost his cool. He blew up. First time. And <laughs> she said, wow. <laughs> it really, I mean, she just didn't understand. But it's, it, that's normal. That's normal. You know, men are supposed to be the one in charge of the family, not the wife. So when the wife becomes that dictator, I'm eventually, unless she's got a, a whimsical guy, if she's got a real man, she ain't going to be able to tell him what to do forever. There's going to be a time when she's going to say, hey, hold it. I'm in charge of this family. 
That, and and that's, that's just the way it is. That's because God made it like that. God made it like that and put the man in charge of the family. The wife is supposed to be submissive to the husband. And you take a family, if the wife is not submissive to the husband, the husband will not be the loving guy he's supposed to be. It's just the way it is. But, you, you, but it's hard to do that, you know. And then the wife becomes offended, and then the husband becomes offended. Because the wife didn't do what he expected, and the husband didn't do what she expected, so now both of them are living in an offense. Now then, both of them are grumbling and complaining. And when both of them start grumbling and complaining, since God told us to do all things without grumbling and complaining, do you think that will bring sickness and disease to your house? Absolutely will. Absolutely will. Just like Cheryl the other day when she grumbled and complained about the tapes up there. I mean, because and it, it attacked her in the throat. And I prayed over her 50 times, you know, I guess, at least, you know. And she's getting better, but she's not there yet. You know, she's had this thing a, a week you know, just about a week. But out of all these things, the Scripture says, After I went astray, I was afflicted. And Proverbs 26, 2 says, No curse or sickness and disease comes upon you without a cause. Isn't that amazing? No curse. Proverbs 26, 2 says, No curse comes upon you undeserved. Now, very rarely when you were growing up did you get a spanking undeserved. Is that right? Usually you were way past the point of deserving it when you got it. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Because when you were growing up, you know, probably, that's just like out here on the highway. If you're a, a habitual speeder, I mean, you know, Five miles an hour over the speed limit. I know, I know if the speed limit is 65, I can drive 70. I'll set my cruise on 70, and I hope I don't get stopped. And some people, even Christians, drive five miles an hour over the speed limit every day, hoping they don't get caught. And usually day after day after day after day, they go by and they break the law, and they don't get caught. And then one day, they come over the hill, and there's a radar, and the guy stops them. And he said, but sir, he said, you were driving 70. Well, I, I, but, but sir, that's only five miles an hour over the speed limit. What if you'd have been driving 66? Could he have still stopped you? Sure, he could have. Because what's the speed limit? 65. You were fudging. You were going over the speed limit, putting them to the test. And then when you got caught at 70, you'd probably done that 100 times, maybe 500 times. But you're going to grumble and complain now because you got caught. But it was your fault. You broke the law. But now God was merciful to you and let you get by with it for months and months and months. If you got what you deserved, you would have got caught the very first day. And they would have fined you and then you, that's what you deserved, right? But nobody wants to hear it like that. No, 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 I don't want that. Well, I can tell you for sure, if you don't never want to get a ticket again and guarantee you don't never get a ticket again, what do you got to do? Drive the speed limit. That's exactly right. Now then, if you don't never want to be sick again, and I'm going to tell you, I don't never want to be sick again, and I think everybody in here is right there with me, I'm going to tell you, to never be sick again, there is some stringent requirements in this book to walk in. But you've got to believe them. And you, then you've got to do it. And I'm telling you, yesterday, yesterday, everywhere I went, it was, I mean, I had to catch myself. 
had to repent a couple of times right quick. Lord, I ain't going there. I mean, yep, these people messed up, but I'm not going there. I'm not going to grumble and complain. Boy, I wanted to. Isn't it, 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 doesn't it just feel good to drive out there and get in your car and just grumble? Ain't nobody hear you but you and God and the devil. See, I mean, you know, you, you know what I mean, ma'am? You do too, huh? So, <clears throat> that must be just a human thing. It's something that we keep our mouth shut in there. As soon as you get in that car and shut the door, it, I'd like to go. I'm telling you, Lord, these people, these young people today, they don't know nothing. I mean, they can't keep up with it. See, that's what you want to say, right? But the Lord says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now then, the first time you do it, you may not get sick. The second time you do it, you may not get sick. And then you may be like that sign I saw off where we were here a while back, one of them great big giant billboards up there. And it said, if you think the traffic lines are long now, just keep grumbling, God. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. If you think the traffic lines are, are bad now, just keep grumbling. God, the traffic jams. Who knows? See, he is in control of everything, isn't he? I don't care what anybody says. The king is in control. Because the Word of God says in Matthew 28, after he defeated the forces of darkness, went to hell, raised from the dead... It says, all power in heaven and in earth has been given to him. And he is running the show. Everything. So, that means he knows what you and I are doing, what we're saying, everything. And not one single thing is happening. Did you have a question? Huh? Okay. The thing about it is, if anything comes upon you, any kind of sickness, any kind of disease, anything happens to you, you've got to know it did not catch God by surprise. He knows about it. And the thing about it is, He has given us His Word, and He has told us under this new covenant who we are and what we can do and what we're supposed to do. And those of us as Christians do not read this book at face value and believe it means what it says. If we did... Then when he says, I tell you, once you've been saved, you are to die to sin and live unto righteousness. You are to have no more sin at all. And that's all over the book. But I didn't know that. See, because I didn't read it. He says, sin brings forth death. I didn't believe that either. And then he did say that there is a sin unto death. And then he tells children, children, obey your parents because this is the commandment with promise. And then you take a, a man and a woman that's raising children, especially say you have two boys. One of them's unruly, don't want to honor mother and daddy. The other one is unruly and he honors mother and daddy. And if you don't demand this one honor you, you're doing your son a very serious injustice. Because if he does not, de if you don't demand that he honor you, if you don't walk in integrity and demand that boy honor you, you are cutting that boy's life short by allowing him to dishonor you. Because the Word of God says that if we don't honor our parents, 
it will cut our life short. And so you take two sons, and of course that goes for girls too, but you take two sons and they're growing along here, and they, one of them gets to be 40 or 45, and he's just as healthy as he could be, and the other was dishonored daddy at 40 or 45. He had a heart attack and died. Just a coincidence. No, it was not a coincidence. That sin, there's no sin or no curse comes upon us undeserved. So when something happens to us in life, according to the Bible, there's a reason. Now, how many of us get what we deserve? None of us. None of us get what we deserve. Because I'm going to tell you, I go back and I look at the what I consider a clean life that I live with God all my years coming along because I never got off on nicotine, I never got into drugs, never got into alcohol, never got into sex, never done all those things. But I think about how many other areas I did miss it. Now then, if God wasn't very, very compassionate and loving and merciful, here's one boy right here wouldn't be standing here today. He'd have been dead a long time ago. You, you know where I'm coming from, right, brother? You, you would have been there too, right? I don't care how clean a life you lived. But then you wonder about those that smoke, you know, and you think about men that will come to your healing schools that have smoked for 30, or women, I've had them both ways, that smoked just nicotine, just right off the shelf cigarettes. Not talking about, you know, the other stuff that, that you can get that's devastating to your body. Just regular nicotine. I've had people come with lung cancer, emphysema, everything else, and then you find out they abused their body for 30 years with nicotine. And now you wonder why you got cancer? Hey, it looks like we would be smart enough to not smoke them things, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But obviously, the enemy gets through to us. Smoking, eating, you name it, he gets through to us in so many ways. And, you know, of course, that's what he comes to do, isn't it? Still kill and destroy. Why is it, you know, that we... And one of the biggest sins out there today especially with the young people, it's sex outside of wedlock. You know? Why is it that so many people do that? Why is it that so many people in the church, I mean, I've seen people in the church leave their mate and go live with somebody else. And even bear children with somebody else not married to them. It's obvious they don't believe this book. Because, you know, you know in fact, p- people ask me, I had a woman ask me a question the other day, said, my son, He's, he's, he's saved, or at least he says he is. He went to a Baptist church and got saved. But he only went to church for about a year or two, and then he got back in the world, and now then he's out there drinking and getting drunk, and he's living with a girl, and he's not married to her, and said, I confronted him about this. He said, Mom, I'm saved. I'm okay. If I die, I'm going to heaven. I want you to turn to Galatians 5. And I want you to see what the Word of God says in Galatians chapter 5. And then I want you to tell me what you think is going to happen to this boy if he dies in this sin. Turn to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. When you get to Galatians chapter 5... I want you to read some scripture for me. And uh, let's start with verse verse, uh, 19. 
somebody that likes to read, somebody out loud, I want you to read those verses. I'm going to hand you a mic. And I want you to read those verses for me. Who would like to read them for me? Oh, here, we got somebody up front. Galatians 5, 19 through about 22, I think it is. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Now then, if the boy is living with a girl committing fornication or adultery, and he's going out and getting drunk and raising Cain, and he dies in that sin, according to the word, where is he going? Is that kind of scary? You see, we read that, but we don't read it. Now then, if you read that, if I read that, and I really thought that meant what it said, you know where you would never catch me in none of those things? Because if you were to go out and commit adultery, or you were to go out and start getting drunk and doing all those things, if you died in that sin, would what you've done... See, you were living in whose world? The devil's world. You were not living in God's world, so it's bringing sickness and disease to your body. It's destroying your flesh, and if you die in that sin, even though you say you're a Christian, according to the Word now, the Word says, Paul was clear there, says, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that what he said? See, the other day I was talking to my staff. I said, you know, I'm going to start teaching these things in my church, my Bible studies, and my healing schools. And one of the women jumped up and said, praise God. I said, well, why is that? She said, when I was 18 years old, I was living with a boy I was not married to. She said, we started going together. I was a Christian. He was a Christian. We went to church together. We praised God together. We sang Christian songs together. And we got to going together, and so we fell in love. And it wasn't long. We decided that, you know, we would get married, but in the future. But right now, since we're going to get married, we'll just go ahead and close out my apartment and move in with him. I mean, justification for sin. It's easy to justify sin, isn't it? And so she said, we were up there singing some Christian songs together and living together in sin. And both of us Christians. And she said, I decided to take a walk. And she said, I was walking, praising God, singing them beautiful hymns. We just got through singing up there together. And said, I'm walking along singing them songs. And said, I hear this voice calls my name. I said, if you die in this sin, you will go to hell. She said, let me tell you what, that got my attention. She said, I went back to that apartment and I told that boy, I said, it's over. It's over. I'm moving out. I'm repenting. She said, I am not going to hell for nobody. How many people do you know in the church today is living right there? Too many of them. And they think they're okay. But if they die in that sin, where are they going to go? I mean, what does Scripture say? Now then, if people were taught this, 
Some of them would change. Some of them wouldn't. That's just like when I was over in the Middle East years ago, way before all the problem we got now. If you're in Iran, Iraq, all those places over there, you know what the punishment is the first time you get caught for stealing? They cut your hand off. One hand. I mean, you steal something, they catch you, and they prove beyond a shot that you stole something. The penalty the first time cuts your hand off. And you ain't got it. So you can't steal with that hand no more. Now you got another one. But if you steal a second time, you know what the punishment is for a second time? That's exactly right, man. They cut your head off. So you never have an a third time offender. Never. Ain't no such thing. Twice is it. First time you lose a hand. The second time you lose your head. So when people see somebody say, hey, mama, he don't have a hand. What did happen to him? Oh, that's the first time he got caught stealing something. That's what happened. If you steal something, you lose your hand. Yeah. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people would say, ooh, I ain't going there. I mean, you bought, there's a $50 bill, but it ain't mine. Ooh. Anybody know who this is? I'll give it to her, but I ain't picking this up. Because my hand's worth more than that $50. I'm not going to steal. But if you've already lost a hand and you're dumb enough to steal a second time and you get caught, it's over. So consequences for sin are pretty awful, aren't they? They are. But see, these consequences are here today for us, and that's why we're sick and afflicted. Now, Jesus has come to this earth 2,000 years ago, and he bore our sickness, he bore our sin, he removed our disease, and he destroyed the works of the devil. He had done all these things for you and me. And give them to us as a free gift. So today, I didn't know as a Christian boy going to church that Jesus had already bore my sin, and so I didn't have to have no sin no more, and all I had to do is come and accept him as a free gift, and this spiritual blessing of salvation belonged to me. How much did you have to pay for your salvation? What did you have to give for it? That's it, brother. Nothing. It was free. Jesus done it for you, right? That's what he... Well, let me ask this question. How old were you when you got born again or saved? Seventeen. Okay, I was eleven. Now, if, if this had already been done, why was he seventeen and why was I eleven before we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, that's when it finally made that trip from here to here. How many people do you know say, well, I was 65 when I got saved. You say, man, was he a slow learner. But there's some, some people around like that, right? I mean, slow. And some people never get it. Here it is, a free gift. Salvation belongs to the world. Jesus belongs to the world. And many people never get it. But when you finally get it one day, and it becomes a revelation to you, and you accept this free gift, you become saved. But now then, most of us as Christians, we never know any more than that. We stop right there. But one day, if you really read the Word, you learn that not at the same time, not only did He bear your sin, but He bore your sickness and removed your disease. So if Jesus has already bore your sickness and removed your disease, then this is also yours. As a child of God, when you receive your healing by faith, think about it, it's really this simple. Your sin of unbelief is probably what's keeping you sick and afflicted. 
That's, that's what does it. Because when you don't know what Jesus has done for you, it, through that unbelief, that is sin, and that opens a door to an enemy to be able to come in and attack you. So the enemy comes in to attack you. And a lot of times he'll attack you through your own parents. Again, I'll go use the story of my own wife here. She says she's my best teaching tool, and she is a good one. I will have to say, because, you know, I didn't know these things about her until we got married. But when we got married, or before we got married, I found out she had cold feet. I mean, you know, I mean, had all of her life. I mean, you know, we had our very first date, the very after God told she and I to get married. Well, you know, we decided a week later we'd go on our first date together. And because we're already engaged now, so... Because God told me and her we're supposed to get married. And so, you know, we're going to do what the Lord says here. But now we don't know nothing about each other. Nothing. You know, and so that first night we're sitting there for hours in the car talking. And Cheryl cranks up the car and asks her why. And she said, well, I've got to have some heat. My feet are cold. I said, well, how long have you been like that? She said, all of my life. She said, my daddy had cold feet. My mother said, your daddy had cold feet, so you'll have cold feet. So see, what happened, her mother, not knowing, it spoke a curse over her daughter to make her daughter just like her husband or Cheryl's daddy. And so Cheryl received that. You're just like your dad. Yeah, see, so you're just like your dad. You have cold feet. You know, so he had cold feet. Now the curse has been spoken. She's got cold feet. And so the same demon that's causing the problem in her dad is doing the same thing with her. And the average person never think about the blood being blocked going to the feet, possibly being a demon. But I told her, I said, you know, God has made provisions under the new covenant. You don't have to be like that. And she said, well, I didn't know that. Well, now, see, she'd been coming to my church for two or three years. She, she'd been listening to me, but this had never made this trip from here to here. So I told her, I said, well, if you don't want to have cold feet, I said, just kick your shoes off and throw your feet over the console there. And I will pray for you. Because as children of God, walking in obedience to God's Word, I want you to go to this magnificent promise that I'm going to use on Cheryl's feet. And it's in, in the, uh, Matthew 18:19. Now, this is one of the promises that our Lord has made you and me as His children under the new covenant. This is a guarantee from God for you and I as obedient children to be able to walk in health. He's given us this wonderful promise. And goodness, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've used this. I bet everybody in our minister center uses this on a regular basis now. Cheryl uses it out there. She was, I think it was just last night or one day this week, I forget, she had prayed for some woman that had lupus or something, honey. Wasn't that what you said? And, and, and about a year ago. And she found out just recently the woman was healed. Well, see, that built her faith. Because she prayed and she takes these promises. But these are the, this is not the only one. This is one of many. But look at what God says in Matthew 18, 19. Now just, this is your promise under the new covenant. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18, 19 to his obedient children? Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Is that an awesome promise? Now see, well, you obviously don't believe that. Now, out of a lack of knowledge, 
her family didn't know those things. But let me tell you, as out of a lack of knowledge, my family didn't know those kind of promises either. We never used those things. We never called God in remembrance. We didn't know what we were supposed to do. But Cheryl's family was no different. Hers didn't know these things. Mine didn't know these things. But one day, years and years and years later, when I began to read the Word and begin to see these things, I thought, what is this about all these wonderful promises under this new covenant? What can I do with these promises? Now, wait a minute. That promise right there says, if there's two of us on earth, we can ask Him for anything, and He'll do it. Didn't He say that? Isn't that pretty awesome? So, I told her, I said, we're obedient. We're God's children. I said, so I'm going to pray over your legs and your feet. And, of course, she kicked them over that console. And I began to caress her legs from about the knee down. I began to rub them. I began to rebuke the devil. I commanded that beast, the devil, which is blocking the blood flow in her main arteries, to get out of her legs in the name of Jesus. Then I asked the Heavenly Father to let those arteries and veins flow perfectly like they're designed so the blood will flow down through her feet and legs so her legs will and feet will not be cold in the name of Jesus. I said, what do you say I could ask for? Anything. Well, see, God does miracles and He does healings. The miracles is what we love. That's what we... Oh, yeah, she'll agree with that. Oh, Lord, I need another miracle right now, Lord. But he didn't do it. He's not, he's not doing a miracle on her this time. He's healing her because I prayed over her and I know she's going to get fully well, no problem. But most of the time when I pray over my wife, God does a miracle for her. Most of the time. And that's wonderful and I love it. And she does too. But this night when we're there sitting out in that car at 4 o'clock in the morning and here I am praying over her legs and her feet when I quote the scripture to the king and ask him to open those arteries and veins, and I thank him for it, then I say, now, Cheryl, do you agree with this prayer? Because the Word says we've got to be in agreement. And she said, I agree. I said, well, then thank the Lord for healing you. She said, Lord, thank you for healing me. And instantly, her arteries opened, her veins opened, and right in my hands, the foot I was holding, which was cold as it could be, immediately got warm. She hadn't had a problem with cold feet or legs since that. Never again has she had a problem. But now see, out of a lack of knowledge, she could have been like that all of her life. She could have went to her grave like that. She could have lived to be a hundred years old and then died and went home to be with Jesus and had cold feet and legs all of her life. But see, there's a lot of us have things wrong with us that we don't take these promises and stand on them. Like the man I told you about a while ago with the problem with the blood. See, the enemy come back for a counterattack on him and almost got through to him. Now then, if this man had not believed the promises of God when he went to that first doctor, and the doctor said, this is bigger than me, you're going to have to go to a specialist. If he had went to that second doctor, that specialist, and the specialist said, we're going to check you, we're going to have to do surgery, we're going to have to cut you open, we're going to have to do this, 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 and this, that guy might even be dead today. Do you know that? Might very well be dead. Because we do not believe these mighty promises. When Jesus, He makes these awesome statements. In fact, I was just talking to a man this morning. And as I was talking to him, he said, Thurman, how old are you? Are you 65? I said, no, I'm 67. He said, boy, you sure look good to be 67. I said, well, hey. I said, I got a promise in there that said He renews my youth like the eagles. So if He renews my youth like the eagles, what am I going to do? Say, I'm old and wore out? 
Absolutely right, brother. I'm young and I can do all things through Christ what strengthens me. You know, I mean, when you stay up to 1 or 2 o'clock or even 3 o'clock nearly every morning, get up at 9 o'clock in the daytime and go to work, I'm telling you, you better know somebody that's your strength. I guarantee. You know, you can't keep going. But that nearly, I mean, it just seems like there is not enough hours in the day for me. It's almost always 11 or 12 o'clock at night before I get through working. Then I go and read emails till 1 or 2 or 2.30, and then I go home and go to bed. And then I get up in the morning and go do something else. I'm telling you, I couldn't do that when I was young, but I can do it now because then I didn't know these promises. Didn't know the promises, but the promises are there. But somebody told me something the other day, and they're probably right. Said, Thurman, I want you to start getting more rest because even God rested after he worked six days. <laughs> so, if God rested after work six days, he said, you better start taking more rest too. I said, okay, I receive that. So, even my own staff, they wrote me a note the other day, and they said, uh, you and Cheryl need to take time off. I said, we've kept up with you for the last ten weeks. You have worked night and day, seven days a week, for the next ten, for the last ten weeks, and your schedule for the next seven has no time for break. You've got, you're working seven days a week, you know, 14 and 16 and 18 hours a day. You've got to have some rest. What days do you want to put on the, the, uh, uh, your schedule that you're not going to be here? And I thought, well, if my own staff is telling me to take a break, I guess I need to start taking a break, right? Yay. And then my wife says, yay, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, I just get caught up in it, you know. I just and you. How many of you know you can get caught up in serving God and overdo it? In serving God and overdo it, and the devil says, "That a boy, I love it. Just keep on going. I'll drive you right down until you have no energy left, and I'll kill you." Because the physical body has to have rest, doesn't it? It it has to have some rest. I guarantee it has to have. So, I am going to start taking a little more time to rest. You know, sometimes I may just sleep in. You know, so. <laughs> anyway, we're going to do the best we can. I ain't making no promises, but I'm going to do the best I can. But anyway, these promises of God, as obedient children of God, Matthew eighteen nineteen. if there's two of you under the new covenant, what can you ask the Lord for when you ask in faith and get it? Anything. Now then, let me tell you how it don't work. When it comes to healing, I'm going to tell you that if there, there is one scripture in the New Testament, that if this was the only scripture we had in the New Testament, anybody could be healed if they did it like God said it. Now, how, how many of you like to think that we don't need 500 verses to get healed? All we need is one, right? That's all it takes, one. Well, when it comes to healing... Let's turn to this magnificent promise in James 5.14. I want to show you a powerful healing verse that's in the Bible that it's like I, when I was in the church, uh, the Baptist church, it's like I didn't know this was in here. I mean, so I can't receive something by faith that I don't know belongs to me. But if I know it's in there, I can receive by faith what belongs to me. Now, that without knowledge, you cannot receive something by faith. 
You have to believe God and have to know, because the Lord says in Jeremiah 1.12, I watch over my word and I'm ready to perform my word. So if He watches over His word to perform it, He's ready to perform His word, you need to come to the King on behalf of His word. Now, James 5.14, James 5.14, 15, and 16. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a scientist. I don't care if you're a nuclear physicist. I don't care if you're a dishwasher or anything in between. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is a guarantee from God to heal every Christian every time. If it's not, then I've been deceived. Now, you know, when people say, well, I don't know what God's will is. Well, like this beautiful song that Cheryl sings, read God's will. My daddy's will. She wrote a song titled, My Daddy's Will. And he said, if you want to know what his will is, read the will. Now, what is the will? The Word of God. Now, just think of this scripture in James 5, 14, 15, and 16. Is a few sick among you? What does it say? Is any sick among you? So, ma'am, who would that cover in the church? If anybody's sick in the church, he's talking to you, isn't he? James 5.14, is any sick among you? Now, what's that person got to do? Let that person call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Is that what it says? And it says that prayer of faith will heal the sick if it's God's will. Is that what he said, J.C.? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he said that prayer of faith will heal the sick. Did he not? Shall. That's right. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the... Oh, and Thurman will raise him up. What did he say, Kathy? And who's going to raise him? Oh, the Lord was going to raise him up. Just think. I don't know about you, but if I read that, if I'm reading that right, that is, a, that is according to his will. It is written in his will, and that is a guarantee from God to heal anybody that comes to him for healing. Is it not? Is that a guarantee? Well, then why would we turn around and say, well... If it's God's will, I'm going to pray this prayer of faith. Now, Lord, if it be your will, will you heal so-and-so? Now, you're not praying that in faith when you do that, are you? No. We, we put the condition, don't we? God didn't put one on it, did he, brother? God says, is any sick among you? So far, he has not put a condition on it. Now, he does in verse 16. But in verse 14 and 15, he does not. Is any sick among you? Let him call for elders of the church, have him anoint him at all, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if his sickness is due to a sin, I, the Lord, will forgive the sin. Therefore, confess your faults or your sins one to another that you may be healed. Is that what he said? There's the requirement. Another requirement. So therefore, confess your sins one to another. So if you've got a sin and you know you've got a sin and you're sick, then you're supposed to confess your fault or your sin one to another that you may be healed. And then he says, and therefore pray one for another and the effectual 
fervent prayer. Effectual fervent. Okay, this would be an effectual fervent prayer. Oh, God, please, if it be your will, heal sister so-and-so. Is that an effectual fervent prayer? No. No way close. The effectual fervent prayers. Lord, you said in your word, in James 5.14, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you on behalf of your word. You said that if we lay hands on this person, we anoint him with oil. You said you'll heal him. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we know we're the righteousness of God in Christ because we know you said the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we know that you made us sons and daughters of God. And we know that by the blood of Jesus, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ. So, you said in your word, pray the prayer of faith. You said anoint him with oil. Lord, we anoint him with oil. So, this person's healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's done. Is that a prayer of faith? Yes, that's a prayer of faith. You said it with thanksgiving. And you say, Lord, it's done. Guarantee it's done. And you get up and say, well, praise God, you're healed. Guarantee it. I prayed for you. You asked me to pray for you. I prayed for you. You're healed. So what are you supposed to do? Get up and say, praise God, I know I'm healed. And you get up and start going and say, I'm healed because the Word of God says so. The Lord said He sent forth His Word and healed me. So I'm healed, praise God. I confess my sins. I'm not going to walk in no kind of sin. So I'm healed. Now then somebody said, well, you sure don't look any better than you did. You say, I'm still mate. I still feel just like I did too. I don't feel any better, but I know I'm healed because it's written in the Word. Somebody said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. But when you get to the back door, maybe quicker. Or maybe the next morning. That's just like people I've had come here and I pray the prayer of faith for them. And many times, I say, you prayed the prayer of faith for me. I listened to the healing school. I didn't feel a thing. I went home. I drove home. I just as bad. I got up the next morning. I felt just as bad. I couldn't hardly stand up. I thought, but the Word says I'm healed. So the Word says I'm healed. Thurman taught me the Word. I believe God. And woke up the next morning. Woke up and said, wow. Like a brand new man or a brand new woman. Or maybe the first day. We've had them do that many a time. Sometimes it's taken a week. Their confession, I know I'm healed, praise God, because it's written in the book. I'll tell you right here a story about a man that had TV. He was a preacher. He came down with TB. And, of course, whenever he got the symptoms, he said, you know, I believe I have TB. He goes to the doctor. Naturally, the doctor says, you have TB, and it's uncurable. So he goes, and I'll tell everybody, I got TB. And the doctor said, I'm going to die shortly. Now, there's everything in the world wrong with his confession. Everything wrong. See, power of the tongue. See, he does not understand that Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And every man shall eat the fruit of his tongue. And he doesn't understand that you're snared by the words of your mouth. All this is written in the book of Proverbs. There's so many things in the book of Proverbs about the tongue. I mean, it's just amazing, not only in Proverbs, but it's many places in the Bible, what you can do and the power of your tongue. So this preacher, he began to confess with his tongue, I got TB. I'm going to die. And so he starts getting worse and worse and worse. Now he's on the bed and he's so weak he can't get up and do nothing. And then one day somebody comes in with one of these promises. Said, brother, look at James five fourteen. So he read this and he says, Ooh, 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 look at that. 
He said, let me call them elders over here. Let them come over here. Pray the prayer of faith for me. So they come over and they prayed the prayer of faith for him. See, now he, how's faith come? He, Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing what? The Word of God. I mean, if I, I say something, you can't take no, you, what I say, you can't take it. I might say, I'll heal you. Somebody said, I believe you can heal me. Well, let me tell you, you ain't going to get healed. I guarantee you. But if Jesus said that he healed you, you can stand on that and you can get it. Because he is the healer. So, this man of God called in a couple of guys and they came in and known him with all and prayed the prayer of faith over him. And he didn't feel a bit better. Still coughing up blood. Second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. All of a sudden he begins to get just a little bit stronger. And by about a week he can sit up by himself on the side of the bed. And within about two weeks he can stand up again. And then within a month he can go out for a walk. He was on his deathbed according to the doctor. Man, he run into a preacher, one of the preachers in the church... And he said, you know, you look good. He said, man, I feel good. He said, well, tonight's Sunday night. He said, why don't you preach the message tonight? He first thought, I don't know if I can do that or not. I don't know if I'm strong. But he said, I'll try. So he comes in that night and he starts preaching and he's feeling so good. I mean, he preaches 15 minutes and he's strong. He preaches another 15 minutes and he preaches an hour. And after an hour, he said, that's it. He said, praise God. I know I'm healed now because I feel so good. Now, you see a sin in that? If you know the Word, you see a sin in that. Most people that don't know the Word don't see a sin in that. I know I'm healed because I feel so good. You find one place in that book that Jesus said, you're healed because you feel so good. It ain't in there. Jesus said, I sent forth my Word and healed you. Did he not? Psalm 107 verse 20. I sent forth my word and healed you. Okay, if it's the word that heals us. Then the minute this pastor said, I know I'm healed because I feel so good, he just sent. He sent. He opened the door wide open to the devil again. And by the next morning when he wakes up, he goes to bed that night, wakes up the next morning, blood's running out his mouth. He's strangling in his own blood. The TB is back worse than it ever was, and he's so weak he can't even set up. And he's saying, God, I thought I was healed. What, what is wrong? And this time the Lord spoke to him. He said, you sinned. He said, Lord, how did I sin? He said, you said you knew you were healed because you felt so good. He said, that's a sin. He said, I said, I sent forth my word and healed you. And when you were standing on my promises in James 5.14, I was healing you. And you were almost completely well until you sinned and you opened the door to the devil. And he immediately come rushing back in. He said, Lord, I repent. I repent. And I will not die. I will live and not die. I will never sin like this again. I repent and I will control my tongue. Now then, the Word of God says, I am healed, so I am healed. James 5, 14, it was a promise. I'm healed. And so he lay there and he didn't get no better. A day or two or three, whatever went by for this guy. And he's thinking, what did I do wrong now? I'm not getting any better. He's still coughing up blood. 
And he said, Lord, what did I do wrong? The Lord says, well, I thought you said, you told me you were healed. He said, well, Lord, the words that I'm healed. He said, then, well, people don't stay in bed coughing up blood. Well, people get up and go do something. I said, this don't make no sense to us, does it? This man said, I got it, Lord. I got it. I got it. And so he pushes himself off of the bed. He gets up, puts his clothes on, spits out that last mouthful of blood, and said, that's it. Jesus said, I'm healed, I'm healed. He walked out that door, and he preached the Word of God until he was nearly 90 years old. Well, he died, and he never had any more sickness and disease, and never had TB again a day in his life. Isn't that the way it works? See, you either going to believe God's Word, or you're going to believe your signs and your symptoms. And what do most of us do? We believe our symptoms. We believe our symptoms. In fact, I had a man the other day that had a heart problem, had a heart murmur, he's having all kinds of problems, and his wife said, I saw a vision the other night and said, after my husband has been having these heart problems and the doctor's telling him his heart's going to fail, he's going to have to have a pacemaker, going to have to have all these things. She said, we were praying and asking the Lord to heal his heart. And that night I had a dream or a vision or whatever it was and said, I saw Jesus standing there with a beautiful, supernatural, powerful heart in his hand and he was releasing it. I said, what are you doing? He said, that's a new heart I'm sending for your husband. All he's got to do is receive it by faith. And he had not been able to do that until he came to me and I sat down and talked with him. And after we talked, he said, I got it. It's mine. He said, I'm getting up from here. I am not sick. I'm not weak. I'm going to do anything I want to do in the name of Jesus. And he walked out my door bold as a lion. He said, I got it. You know how hard it is to do that? You know how hard it is when the devil attacks your flesh? You know, when the devil attacks your flesh, you and I are prone to go by symptoms. Now, I had, I was, here, here was my weakness I was prone over the years to have many problems with my back. I don't know why. It just seemed to be an area of the devil beat up on me. I mean, I was always picking up heavy things. I hadn't changed. But back in those days, I'd pick up things and my back would go out. I remember one time reaching over the back of a pickup in the Air Force, picking up a 67-pound tester. It said, this tester weighs 67 pounds. It was written right on the side of it. I did it every day. That day I reached over and picked it up. As soon as I picked it up, I heard something pop. And immediately, I couldn't stand up. I, couldn't, I, I remember trying to drive my car home that night. I finally got in that car, and I was driving down the road, and I needed to hit the brake, and I just raised my toe like that to reach over to hit the brake. And I'm telling you, it looks like somebody just, whap, hit me right in the back with a two-by-four. How bad it hurt. I didn't know there was a demon. I had no idea that's what that was. I just thought that something messed up in my back. I had that many times in my life. And then after I learned how to walk by faith. I'm walking by faith. Now then, I've got it. I've got faith. I know what it is. I now know that the Lord has bore my sickness, removed my disease, and I've received Jesus as my healer. And I'm going to walk in solid faith. And I'm not going to have any sickness and disease. And I'm confessing that on a regular basis daily. And some people think you're crazy, but that's okay. Sure has paid great dividends. So anyway, I told a lot of people, especially in my church, my Baptist church, you know, praise God, I've received Jesus as my healer, just like I did my Savior. And I know I'm saved because it's written in the Word, so now I'm healed because I know it's written in the Word, so I ain't never going to be sick again. And they said, wait a minute, Thurman, 
you know you're going to be sick again. Everybody's going to be sick. Now, how in the world can we as Baptists say, once saved, always saved, and he said he'd done the same thing for healing, and we say you can't be healed? That don't make good sense to me. That's a double standard. A double standard. Because it's a lack of knowledge of the Word. Well, I will say, if, you, if you're obedient to God, and you get saved, and you walk in obedience to His Word, and do what He says, I guarantee you're once saved, always saved. That's a, that's a guarantee. And I'm going to guarantee you, too, on the healing part, when you get it by faith and you receive Jesus as your healer and walk in total faith and according to the Word, the devil won't never be able to keep you down with sickness and disease again either. But he try. Just like he tries to come to you and say, Oh, you old unworthless critter, you. You know God would never save an old boy like you. He'll try to put those thoughts in your mind, won't he? Did he do it to Jesus? The first words out of the devil's mouth in the garden or in the wilderness If you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, that's the words coming out of the devil's mouth to Jesus. If he's trying to deceive Jesus, what do you think he's going to do to you and me? Same thing. He's trying to put these things on us. We don't believe these mighty promises of God. God has made these mighty promises. They're ours. They're for you and me. Every one of them. All we've got to do is believe them and stand on these mighty promises. They're ours for the taking. Now then, but that devil, he'll try everything he can to deceive you. But if you don't don't take these promises of God that he's given and stand on them, then that devil's going to get you just like he did with me with my back. Now here I am walking. And walking obedience to the Word, I'm, I know I'm healed. I've got all these, I've got all these scriptures in my heart. I know they're working, and I'm not going to have any more back troubles or nothing. I've had it several times, at least a half a dozen times. Bad. Well, the devil always comes back for a counterattack. Here I am out here four or five years walking in faith, and I'm working in one of my trucks one Saturday morning, and I go whipping around the corner of my truck. Bam, just like that. I hear that crack in my back, and it's like you'd hit me with a red-hot coal of fire in my back. And I fell over on the hood of my truck, and I'm laying there. And before, man, I'd have immediately slid it off of that truck and tried to crawl to the house. But not this time. I got the Word in me now. I know this is a devil. Just hit me in the back. I'm laying there. Instead of doing what you normally would, I just laughed. And I turned and looked at him. I said, oh, Father, I want to thank you and praise you that you've taught me the Word. I want to thank you and praise you that I now know who I am. I want to thank you and praise you. I know I'm a son of God. And I want to thank you and praise you that I'm a child of the King. I'm a new creature. And I want to thank you and praise you that you sent your son 2,000 years ago to bear my sickness. You bore my pain and removed it on the cross. So I don't have to bear no pain and I don't have to be sick. I want to thank you for those great and awesome promises that you did for me 2,000 years ago. It's already done. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, now then, in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, you said you bore my pain and you removed my sickness. So I said, Lord, thank you for that. I said, then you come to Matthew 8, 17 and said himself, Jesus, bore my sickness, removed my disease. So if you did that, Lord, I want to thank you. And I said, you said in your word that in Luke 10, 19 and 20, I said in Luke 10, 19 and 20, you said, behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons all power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that those evil spirits have to be subject to you, 
but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Is that an awesome promise in Luke 10, 19 and 20? Think about this. Meditate on this just a second while we're right here. Think about it. Here I'm laying here on my, on my stomach on the hood of this truck with excruciating pain in my back. I know that's a fiery dart of the devil. It's like Ephesians six sixteen. I know the devil fired a fiery dart into me, and it's on fire. And that's what my back feels like. It's on fire. And I know that that's a fiery dart of the devil, that the devil fired into me. But I know, according to Luke 10, 19 and 20, as a son of God walking in obedience to God's Word, with all of my sins repented of, I know that devil has no legal claim to me. He's trying to attack me. But Jesus said in Luke 10, 19 and 20, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread or trample on the serpent, the devil, and his scorpion or his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. When you got a promise like that from the king of the universe to you, what can you do with the devil with that, sir? You can kick him out. You know it. So I said, you devil of hell, you've got to be subject to me. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you devil of hell to come out of my back and to go to the pit and don't you ever come back. Now, the average good Christian would say, this guy's lost it. But no, I'm standing on the Word. I believe what the Word says, not what man has said. So I said, now then, if Jesus said these beasts ain't going to hurt me, I'm going to push myself up off this truck and I'm going to stand up. And when I do, the devil says, I'm going to show you this faith stuff don't work. And he shoots about three more of them fiery darts into my back as I stand up. I mean, the sweat begins to pop out on me at hurting so bad. Somebody say, it doesn't appear to be working. Let me tell you, the Word of God can never fail. It cannot fail. I push myself up, and that devil, I said, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, you're out. I said, I'm going to go do everything I wanted to do today, and I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. And I turned and took that first step, and as I did, the pain was so severe, I'm wavering. I said, devil, you might as well go ahead and get out of there, because the Word says I have power over you. And I took that second step, and he was 50% gone. time I took that third step, he's completely gone. And virtually never had a back pain since that day. He tried a couple of times, little, but he never come back like that no more. That's it. Now, how much power did that word say I have over the devil? If I, if you and me, brother, as sons of God, have all power over the devil, and he has to be subject to us, I think it's time we ought to start kicking him out, don't you? But see, what, what do we do? Now, this... This is something I've told a lot of people. I asked my Sunday school class years ago when I was still in the Baptist church teaching a Sunday school class, but I taught them these principles right from God's Word for several years. And one morning I thought, I'll just ask my class, what would you do if you were to wake up one morning and you smell this awful stench in your bedroom and you turned and looked and there was this being standing in his black cloak and he's saying, I'm the devil, and I've come to destroy you and kill you. I said, what would you do? 
Everybody in my class, I'd tell the devil to get out. I have power over him. I said, oh, you would, would you? Why, yes, we have power over him. Well, is that true? Sure it is. I said, great, great. But I said, it won't happen like that. I said, this is the way it's going to happen. I said, one morning you're going to wake up. In the middle of the morning, maybe at 3 o'clock, there's going to be an extremely sharp pain in your chest. That's the devil. He's waiting to see what you're going to say about this. Jesus said, I bore your sickness and removed your disease. I took your pain. So if a sharp pain comes up on your heart, guess who it is doing it? The devil. I said, now what are you going to do? And I said, it's excruciating. I mean, it's hurting. You can't even, you take just a little bitty breath. It's just a tremendous sharp pain. What are you going to do? You're going to panic. You're going to wake up your wife, your spouse. You're going to call 911. You're going to go rush in down to the hospital. Or you're going to rebuke the devil and command him to leave. Most people are going to call 911. But those that are really walking in faith, that really know the Word, then it's made that little trip from here to here. It's going to say, oh, devil, that's just you. In the name of Jesus, out. Now, I'm going to turn over and go back to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, I am not going to have any heart problem because Jesus came to give me life, and He came to give it to me abundantly. John 10.10. Now then, in John 10.10, if the thief, which is the devil, come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But then the second half of that verse says, But I, Jesus, come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Does the Lord expect you and me to have sickness and disease after what He's done for us on that cross? No, He does not. He does not. Then why are so many Christians sick? Why was I sick all those years? Why did I have all those problems? Because I didn't know the truth. Somebody says, from the time you were a little boy. I can remember as a little boy laying in the bed at home with migraine headaches so bad, I couldn't stand it. For years I had those things. Nobody in my home knew that you could lay hands on somebody and drive that devil out. We didn't know those things. Was we Christians? We went to church, and we went regularly, and my mother read the Bible. But unfortunately, my mother didn't believe what she read. She read it a lot. She tried to believe, but why was it so hard for her to believe? I mean, you know, I can think of my mother. In fact, I had a woman one time that got cancer, and there was a couple in the Baptist church, and this woman died. And... uh, I said, you know, it's amazing that if this woman had only known, she wasn't that old. She was a grandmother, but she wasn't that old. I said, if she had only known the promises of God, she could still be alive today. And her granddaughter jumped up at me and said, Thurman, my grandmother, she knew the Bible from front to back. She could quote everything in it. And I'm going to tell you, that's not true. I said, ma'am, I'm going to tell you, it is true. I said, my mother was a great woman of God, too, and she read the Bible But I said, nobody knows it from cover to cover. I don't care who you are. She may have read it from cover to cover, but she didn't believe what she read. And she didn't like that. She really didn't like that at all. And I really offended her, I know. 
Well, the other day, I was amazed. This woman called me and repented and apologized to me and said, Now, Thurman, I know the truth. You were right, and I was wrong. I thought, wow, this has been ten years ago. Ten years ago, this woman jumped on my case. But she called me and repented just the other day. I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? She said, we've changed churches. We don't go up here no more. We started going to another church, and they started teaching us kind of some things just like you've taught. And as I've read and studied and listened to that preacher preach, I thought, you know, Thurman was right all that time, and we were wrong. I thought, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So now she's finally seen it. So she called me and apologized. But let me tell you, when you tell somebody, especially if it's someone you love, your grandmother and they were a godly person, your grandfather, godly man or woman, they went to church every time the doors opened, and they died at 50 or 55 or 60, and you say, well, they died because of sin or a lack of knowledge of the Word. Somebody said, that's not true. Yeah, it is. It is true. The Lord says in His Word that I will, I will satisfy you with a short life. Is that what He said? Oh, I will satisfy you with long life. Well, what do you consider long life? Is 50 a long life? I didn't think so. You know, I don't think so at all. You know, in fact, if you'd, now if you'd asked me when I was 18, what's a long life? Well, good grief, 50, that's ancient. I mean, right, Kathy? I mean, you know, when you're when you're 18 or 19 or 20 years old, a man 67, why he could be grand, grandfather to me three times over. Good grief, ancient. He's not old. He's super old. You know, but when you get there, it's not so bad. <laughs> you find out it's not what you thought it was. You know, I guarantee. But you, when the Lord says, "I'll satisfy you with long life," now when I was 18, 67 was old. When you get to be 67, it's pretty young. So long life to me now is probably 120 at least. Now, when I get to 120, I'll see what I think about that. You know, 120, 120 may be young when I get there, right? I was thinking about J.C. He was telling me a story there a while ago before we started. I can remember when I first met him and his lovely wife, uh, Carolyn. They was coming to my church, and I was teaching them these things, and he was learning more about these things. And his mother-in-law uh, came down with a heart attack, and they called and said, Mama's going to die. Everybody needs to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. And so J.C. said, i got to find Thurman. i got to call him. got to have him pray for my mother-in-law. Well, there ain't no way. God fixed it where there's no way he could find me. No way. So finally he said, you know, Thurman says, we can do this ourselves. He said, we can go over and lay hands on Mama and kick that devil out of her. He said, in Mark chapter 16... In fact, over right there, I want all of you to look at this promise in Mark 16. Look, turn over here to Mark 16, 17 and 18. And I want to show you what the king said you and me can do if we believe. Mark 16, 17 and 18. When you turn to those promises, you will find that the Lord says you can do something that the average Christian has never, ever, ever one time had faith to do. I mean, I was way up there 45 years old. And been in church all my life, and I did not know what Mark 16, 17, and 18 says. But Mark 16, 17, 18, and by the way, this is the king talking. Jesus. He said, In these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, this is under the new covenant. This is not under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, you couldn't do this. 
But under the new covenant, as children of God, once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you now become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ is in you, and you can do what He said if you believe. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, and 18, And these signs shall follow them that believe. That's supposed to be you and me. In my name, the name of Jesus, you shall cast out devils. Is that what he said? He said, then you shall speak with new tongues. And he said, you shall handle the serpent. Now, that's the devil. And if you drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt you at all. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Is that what he said? Now, see, you've got to believe that. Well, see, J.C. had been listening to these things. His wife, Carolyn, had been listening to these things. And now Carolyn's mother is on her deathbed, and Grandma is fixing to die. The doctor said it's over. He can't get a hold of the man of faith. God's made it a fact that he can't, because he's going to show him that it's not Thurman that does a healing, but it's Jesus that does a healing when you act in faith. So J.C. said, you know, we can't find him. We're going over there. Thurman said we could do these things. He said these things. These signs follow them that believe. He said, I'm a believer. He said, I'm going over there and I'm going to cast that devil out of mama. Now, that's what every man wants to do, cast the devil out of his mother-in-law. I thought I'd throw that in for a little humor. So J.C. goes over and lays his hands on mama-in-law and casts that devil out of her in the name of Jesus. And the devil left. And the mama that was going to die, just one or two days later, was up and was shopping with them. And today, he told me when they walked in, mama is doing good. She's fixing dinner and she's going to have her 90th birthday. I think it's today, isn't it, J.C.? Today. Her 90th birthday. Still alive and well. But yet, a few years ago, mama was on her deathbed and was dying. And doctor said, she ain't going to make it. A heart attack. And yet he goes over there, lays his hands on her, acts on that verse, kicks the devil out of her, and lays his hands and says, now mama's healed because it's written in the Word of God. And two, I believe one or two days later, she was up out shopping with Carolyn, wasn't she, J.C.? Two days later, out shopping with Carolyn, her daughter. Now then, now that with promises like this under the new covenant... Why in the world don't we use these promises? We don't know them. How in the world could you be like me and go to church, be a Sunday school teacher and everything else, and not know these promises? Because you don't read the Word of God. You're just as guilty as I was. But one day, I decided to read the owner's manual. And I started reading the owner's manual, the Word of God. And I started reading, and I come upon these kind of promises. Well, now then, you go and ask your doctor of theology. You know, when you come up on that, you say, wow, this is awesome. And so you go to your pastor, number one. And you say, pastor, look at what I found in God's Word. Look at what this says. Jesus said that in Mark 16, 17, and 18, these signs shall follow those who believe. We can cast out devils. We can speak with new tongues. I mean, you know, in Baptist church, we don't believe we can speak with new tongues, you know. We don't believe we can handle the serpent. And so I, I said, what about all this stuff? He said, well, Thurman, that was, that was spoken. Jesus said that to his apostles, and that only worked for them. That does, that's not to us. So guess what that did to my faith? It just withered. I thought, oh, gee, I thought I could do those kind of things. Oh, no, you were wrong. 
So I kept reading that one day, and all my faith keeps coming back up. I keep reading God's Word, and the Holy Spirit says, You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And so I, at this time, I'm not satisfied with my preacher, so I'm going to a Ph.D. from the seminary. I said, Sir, I didn't tell him I'd been to the preacher. I said, What do you think about this? Well, he said, Thurman, that was written to the apostles and said, don't, don't you dare go to a hospital and do those kind of things. I said, you know, according to that, I could go lay hands on somebody and they get healed. He said, no, 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 that was written just to the apostles. He said, don't do that because if you go lay hands on somebody and they've got a contagious disease, you will get it and you'll be sick. Ph.D. told me that. Ph.D. from a seminary. I thought, Wow. Okay, so now then my faith is pushed over the cliff again for a few years. Now then, I keep reading and studying the Word. I'm seeing all these wonderful things. One day I said, that's it, Lord. That's it. I've had it. I ain't asking no more PhDs. I ain't asking no more pastors. I ain't asking nobody but you. Lord, you said I can cast out devils. You said I can lay hands on the sick. You said I can anoint people with oil and pray the prayer of faith on them. I said, Lord, I'm going to start doing it. So you walk into your workplace one day and some lady sitting there, she says, oh, goodness. I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm sick. I said, come out of here, you devil. Help me healed in the name of Jesus. I said, guarantee woman you healed. And I walk off. Thirty minutes later, she comes over and said, wow, what did you do? I said, what do you mean? She said, I, I, I feel awful and I feel great. I said, oh, it's only Jesus. You know, now you do this once or twice and you're ruined forever. You know, the old devil says, oh, but you know, it was just a coincidence. She just had a terrible headache and felt bad. It was just a coincidence that it happened. Okay, maybe it was. And then the Lord says one day, he brings you to a place, and here's a man that's already had surgery. And they've opened him up and looked inside of him. And they sewed him up and put him back together. And he's got stage 4 lymph node, terminal cancer in every organ of his body. And it's over. Send him home to die. And then you walk up to visit him, and God speaks to you and tells you to do what James 5.14. You hear God talk to you. This ain't somebody from seminary. You hear a voice from heaven, which is God. God says, son, tell so-and-so to call the men of the church and pray over him, and I'll heal him. And you do that. And you call that man, and you get through to him. And you get through, you go through him over and over and over and over, and he said, well, I want God's will to be done, but don't know what it is. How many of you know that if you want to know God's will, all you gotta do is read His will? And if His will says, call the elders of the church, have them pray over you to anoint you with all, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well? Hey, this time it's not a headache. This time it's stage four lymph node terminal cancer. But when you ask, Here's where we miss it, right there on that scripture, James 5.14. We say, oh God, if it be your will. Forget it, that's it. You ain't going to get it. Turn to James 1, 6 and 7, and I want to show you in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, what God does for us if we don't ask in faith. If you don't ask in faith, I want you to see what's going to happen. James 1, 6 and 7. But when you ask, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. How much wavering? Now, how hard is it to ask with no wavering? Without the knowledge of the Word, 
It's impossible. Without the knowledge of the Word, it's impossible for you to ask in faith and not waver. But when you get the Word in you, that's how faith comes, is by hearing the Word. As the Word is built up in you, you can ask in faith. Because the Word says there in James 1, 6 and 7, you must ask in faith nothing wavering, because if you waver... You're unstable in all of your ways. And the Lord says, let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. Is that what he said? So if you don't ask in faith, what are you going to get from God? Nothing. He's a faith God. If he told you, he said, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders and have them pray over them anointed with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Is that what he said? So if you get down with something that's sick and you call God or you say, Lord, you said in your word in James 5.14, I am sick and I have a problem, but I am not even going to the doctor to have a diagnosis. I don't, I'm not going to go there and spend 500 or or $1,000. In fact, I had one lady in my church that she got to feeling real bad and she said, I, she, instead of coming to me, I mean, she'd been there for a couple of years. But still, when these pains and symptoms come upon her, they whisked her off to a hospital. The third day, she called me. She said, Thurman, they're giving me all this medication. I can't sleep. I am hurting. And so I spent about 30 minutes with her on the phone. And after it was over, she said, I wish I had a tape player. She said, do you remember everything you told me? I said, of course not. You know, she said, oh, I'd give anything. I built her faith mountain high. She said, you pray the prayer of faith for me, and it's done. I prayed the prayer of faith. She said, I'm get up and go home. And she did. She got up and went home Sunday. She's in church. I said, how do you feel? She said, wonderful. She said, I wish I'd have called you day one whenever this happened. But my kids swooshed me off to the hospital. She said, I got the hospital bill today for those three days. They didn't do a thing for me. But you know what that cost me? I said, I have no idea. She said, a little over $10,000. Didn't do a thing for her. And I prayed the prayer of faith for her, and God healed her just like that. And she's in church on Sunday. Isn't it amazing what God will do if we believe Him? Oh, the devil loves it when you go to the doctor. Because we don't know these promises. If you start feeling bad, first thing you need to do is check, hey, if i got a sin somewhere, let me repent, Lord. If I've been grumbling and complaining, I've been doing anything, I repent. Lord, I repent. Praise God. I repent of every sin known and unknown. Now, Lord, you said in your word, in James 5.14, let me get to the pastor as quick as I can. Let him have a couple of them elders and deacons come over here and pray over me. And praise God, I'm healed. And when you pray the prayer of faith, they come over. Of course, the men that pray the prayer of faith for you, you want to know what they believe before they pray. Are you guys men of God? Are you walking in obedience to the Word? Are you guys loving your wife? Did you have a problem, a knockdown drag out of your wife this morning before you come here to pray for me? Because if you did... Your prayers will be hindered. I don't want you to pray for me. I want you walking into God kind of love. And then do you believe this promise? Yes, absolutely. You believe I'm going to be healed when we pray for you. Well, if it's God's will, you'll be healed. Forget it. Throw them guys out the window and go get you another team. You don't want them. God said the prayer of faith will heal you, didn't he? But you got two guys there and say, yes, we're walking in love. We're doing, we don't belong to nothing but the church. We don't belong to no other organizations. We're not members of nothing. We're only members of the church. Okay. Do you believe I'm going to be here when you all pray for me? Absolutely. Why? Because it's written in that book. If Jesus said it, it's done. We pray for you. You're healed. Hey, that's the guy I want to pray for me. Don't you? 
That's exactly right. When he prays for me, you can pray in faith. If God, according to Titus 1 2, if God can't lie, and we all know he can't, according to that scripture right there in James 5 14, if you pray in faith, what does God have to do for you? I mean, what does he have to do? Heal you. He promised it. It's a guarantee from God. It's not like he doesn't want to. He already done it for you on the cross. He didn't want you to sin. He didn't want you to get off over there and start believing the devil. He don't want you to have a heart problem. He don't want you to have diabetes. He don't want you to have none of those things. That's what he paid the price for. That's like when we went to Europe the other day. One of the leaders, when I got there, he said, I have diabetes. I want you to pray for my diabetes. I said, there ain't no way I can ever get you healed. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're claiming diabetes. He said, I want you to pray for my diabetes. I said, diabetes comes from the devil. I want you to repent for your sin of unbelief. I want you to believe God that he bore your sickness, remove your disease. And when I pray for you, when I kick that devil out, he's got to leave. But I said, you're going to have to believe him. He said, what does that mean? I said, let me explain it to you. I said, I, wouldn't, I don't tell normal people this, but you're in the ministry, and I expect more out of you being a minister. I said, when I pray for you, do you believe this book is God's Word? He said, absolutely. I said, when I pray the prayer of faith for you, you throw that insulin away. I said, I wouldn't tell a normal human being that, but I'll tell a preacher that, because he's supposed to believe this book. God holds us more accountable than he does his little sheep. We're supposed to be the shepherds. I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to kick that devil out of you. I want you to repent for your unbelief. When I pray for you, throw that insulin away and you believe God. And he did. Nine days later when we left, he said, this morning, he said, I feel like a million dollars, but I'm going to just check my insulin levels just to prove that they're perfect. And he checked them and they were perfect. He was healed of diabetes. He had had it for years. All he had to do is trust the king. The devil had to leave. Is that amazing or is that amazing that God expects us to believe his word? See, in James 4, 7, we've not understood that verse when he says, Submit yourself to me. What does it mean to submit yourself to God? Obey, that's right, honey. Obey and believe his promises. Then he says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who is it that puts all this sickness and disease upon us? The devil. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Satanic oppression. the devil will put sickness and disease upon you. He'll put all these symptoms upon you. He'll do everything he can to deceive you and make you sick and afflict you. When Jesus came to this earth, all you got to do is read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see that Jesus walked through this earth casting out devils and healing the sick. It's in there, isn't it? And it says, And Jesus cast the devil out, and the little boy was healed. Jesus loosed the woman from the spirit of infirmity, and she could stand up. <coughs> All over and over and over. <coughs> if you really want to know and understand the demonic world and how it works, get my teachings, DVDs or whatever, 
on the question and the answer. The question and the answer. And also the one on breaking the authority of the devil in, in your life. Those scriptures. That question and the answer probably the most intensive, in-depth that I went to. I spent weeks preparing to teach that outline. And then after I did, I put that all together. And it's <clears throat> at least a six or a seven hour teaching. At least. And I did it in two different churches. And I put it together on one teaching. But if you'll listen to the question and the answer, it will explain to you from the Scripture who the devil is and the power you have over him. I mean, over and over and over Scriptures I pulled out. And when you get a hold of this, who the devil is and who you are, this is the secret, learning who we are. We are sons and daughters of the King of the universe. And he lives in us. And when he lives in us, you'll get a hold of that. Then you get to the point where you can lay hands on somebody and you can cast the devil out and you can see them healed. I'm telling you, it becomes fun when you get to the point where you can walk up to someone and see the Holy Ghost come upon you and you take a man or a woman that's got lupus or Parkinson's or whatever. And many times in my life when I've touched those people, just touched them and say, in the name of Jesus... Instantly the devil left and they were instantly healed. I've seen it many times. Prayed the prayer of faith over the telephone for people. The prayer of faith. And people get healed of back troubles. Everything. You name it. Broken backs are healed. I mean, over and over and over and over. I've seen it by the hundreds. And it doesn't take a big long prayer. Just simple. Take something like Matthew 18, 19. The prayer of agreement. Pray for somebody. Say, do you agree? They say, yes. Say, then we get to praise God. Thank you. It's done. And I'll send her back. Instantly healed. Over and over and over. I don't care what it is. Those promises are for you and me today. God has given them to us. Don't let that devil lie to you no more. Believe these promises and they will work for you. Now that we're going to take a break. It's 3 o'clock. We take a 15 or 20 minute break. Got bathrooms over here on this side. Normally... <clears throat> We take an offering. Are we prepared to do that today? We brought the stuff. If we did, <clears throat> if you would like to give an offering to our ministry, if you want to give a check, give it to TLSM. If you want to give cash, you need an envelope. Cheryl's got some envelopes here where you can write your name on those. If you want to give an offering to our ministry, if you don't want a receipt, then just put the money in the box or the plate. Or we got a donation box back there to back. And if you want to put your donation in that, you can put it in that. It makes no difference. (laughs) But anyway, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless the gift and the giver. As you said, Lord, given it shall be given unto you. So, Lord, thank you for blessing each one of these that give in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now that we're going to, we'll go ahead and they'll take up the offering right quick. And then you, as soon as the offering deal has come by, You'll be dismissed for about 20 minutes to go to bathrooms. Like I said, there's bathrooms over here on the far side of the gym. And, uh, and there's water bottles outside all over the place that you can drink. And in about 20 minutes, we'll come back and we'll start over for the second series this afternoon. Praise the Lord. <coughs> Jesus is more than, <coughs> more than awesome. <coughs> Praise the King. All you got to do is believe Him, brother. 
He gives you a new heart. <clears throat> he can do that. I've seen him put new livers in people. I've seen him take livers when little girls were and older people that are giving up death on their deathbeds can't pray. I prayed the prayer of faith. I'm going to tell you this story right quick before we take a break for you on the take up offering. A lady called me one day and she said, I've got a 10 year old daughter that her livers failed and we're trying to get a new liver. We want you, we heard about you, and somebody give us one of your CDs, and we want you to pray the prayer of faith that we'll get a new liver for her. I said, absolutely not. She said, what? But we got to have a new liver. I said, no, ma'am. I'd much rather see Jesus heal the one she's got than her to have to have a liver transplant, hadn't you? I said, hey, I don't want this little girl to have to go through all this surgery. I want her liver healed. I said, now you and your husband need to repent of all your sins because that little girl's sick because of y'all's sin. And so they repented of all their sins. After they repented, I said, okay, now then, Lord, and there was unbelief and everything else because they had it all, but they were Christians. I said, now, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said according to John fourteen thirteen, anything I ask you, you'll do it for me. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to heal this little girl's liver. Make it like brand new. And this, girl, this woman said, but she's got a great big tumor on it. I said, man, it don't make no difference what he's got on it. Jesus can take care of it. And I said, Lord, thank you for taking that big tumor off that liver and making it like brand new. In the name of Jesus. I said, it's done. So that afternoon, or maybe it was the next afternoon, they called and said, we found her a liver and we have it and it's be there in a matter of a few hours. Get her ready for surgery. So she thought, oh, goodness, the Lord is going to answer Thurman's prayer, not the way he prayed it, but he's going to give us a liver after all. And nobody dreamed about checking this liver. They wheeled this little girl in for surgery. They sent this liver up here. They prep her and cut her open. And when the doctor looks in, ain't nothing wrong with her liver. It's perfect. So he sews her back up. Now she's got a scar four inches long on her side. But they didn't need no surgery. So when she called me, she said, we couldn't believe the liver was perfect. I said, well, that's what's wrong with us. I asked God to fix the one she had, and he did, and you all didn't believe it. And now because you didn't believe, you went ahead and prepared her for surgery, cut her open, and found out the liver's perfect. And so he had to sew her back up. And the doctor got his money for that anyway. Isn't that amazing? Which one? John... 14, 13, and 14. You ought to read that. If you don't have that hidden in your heart, read it. John 14, 13, 14. The king, that's an awesome statement. And so now then, after telling you that story, you ought to dismiss for 20 minutes for a break and water and bathrooms and everything, and then come back. Lord, we Lord, we praise you and thank you for these promises. Now, as we continue on with these, help us to realize these things belong to us. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As children of God, I want us to turn to Ephesians 1, 3, and I want you to see what the Lord says there, and then maybe you're like I was when I read this so many times, but yet it didn't make sense to me what this meant. But in Ephesians 1, 3, 
I want you to just look at that. And after we look at it for a minute and meditate on it, I want you to just think, what is he talking about? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now, I spent a great deal of my young Christian life praying and asking God for different things, and I never got them, and I didn't understand why I didn't get them, and now I do. It's because he had already given them to me, and they were mine. And I didn't know it. So here I am praying for something that he's already given me. It's like, I mean, it's like, for instance, say when my son was 16 years old, he said, Dad, I'd like to have a little truck. I said, great, I knew you wanted a little truck, so I got you one sitting out there in the front yard. You know, a little Ranger pickup. I mean, you know, five-speed, four-cylinder, air-conditioned, everything. Just exactly what I knew you wanted. He goes out and looks out the window and says, well, yeah, that is. That, that looks like a nice little Ranger pickup. The next day he comes and said, Dad, I sure wish I had somebody to get to town. I said, son, take the little Ranger pickup. Well, okay. So he goes out and looks at it, maybe pets it a little, rubs it a little, you know. He comes back in the house and said, it's too far for me to walk to town, Dad. I sure wish I had some way to town. He said, what's wrong with this boy? You know, I bought him a truck, give him the keys. There it is, it's paid for. Now I told him to go. But he don't ever go. He's got to act. He's got to go over and open the door, get in it, sit down, put the key in it and crank it, put it in gear and go. Is that right, brother? If he don't do that, the truck ain't going to do him no good, right? Not going to do it good at all. But in Ephesians 1, 3, Paul is standing on the hills of Ephesus screaming this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with how many? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So how many of them is ours already? All. So all the spiritual blessings, all the spiritual gifts as children of God, when He died on the cross and arose again, He gave those all to the world. Everybody that will believe. Well, what are they? Spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts. I mean, think about this. The very first spiritual gift God gave the whole world was salvation. Do you have to buy it? No, it's a free gift. You can't. He said it, it, He clearly told us it is a free gift. It is a gift from God. And all we've got to do is believe it and receive it. And it's ours. So when you accept Jesus Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior, you get born again. You become a new creature. You didn't have to do a thing for it. He did it all. He said it's a free gift from God lest any man should boast. So there's not one single thing I can do to add to the salvation He's already done. Whenever He gives it to me, I just receive it and it's mine. It's done. Praise God. But He says... Like, for instance, when he talks about many of these other gifts, when he talks about healing, he says, I even give some the gift of healing. I give some the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. I give them the gift of miracles. And you think, boy, isn't that nice that he gives some these apostles? You know, he gave men all these wonderful gifts. I wish you would give them to me. Lord, I wished I had one of them. How many of them did He give to me? How many did He give to you? All. They're all yours. So you think, Lord, if the gift of healing is mine, and the gift of miracles is mine, if the gift of all these things, all the nine gifts of the Spirit over in 1 Corinthians He talks about, 
if all these gifts belong to me and they're already mine, then why don't I go act on these things? Why don't I go do something? So he told me to lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. And he said, the gift of healing, I'll use you when you act on it. So you think, goodness, it couldn't be that simple. But it is that simple. Because he's given us to, all these things to us as children. So you take his promises and these magnificent things are mine. And so these wonderful gifts and the gift of healing, you can make that gift work. So you walk into some place and if you do something in faith, God will move. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. These gifts, which are already mine. I don't have to stop every day and pray for these things. They're already mine. So I've got to know what they are. And when I act on them, I claim them. Lord, these things are mine. I can do what you said I can do. So you come into work one day and you're there and all of a sudden you hear a woman screaming. And you go running down to where it is and all of a sudden you look and here's a woman and she's got a glove on from right here to here and a sleeve from here up. But right here... All the skin on her arms all burned off. And then you find out that she fell on a big oven door that's 250, 300 degrees and just burned all the skin off. And big old blisters are just coming up and she's screaming. And they're trying to pour cold water on her. Everybody's trying to do everything. But nobody is taking the Word of God. When I walk up, I reach up and grab her on this arm and said, Ma'am, Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4 that He bore your pain. So if Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4, He bore your pain, you wanted to bear it. Then I said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus told me to lay hands on the sick and they will get well. But I said, I don't know how long that will take. So I said in Mark eleven twenty three, Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus said, I can speak to the mountain if I have faith. Now this is a serious promise in Mark eleven twenty three. I want you to go there and I want you to see this to make sure I'm not telling you some kind of story. Mark 11:23, Jesus is talking. And he says, if you have faith in God, or the God kind of faith, in verse 22. Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. Mark 11, I want you to think. Now, this is the king talking. This is not me. This is where you obtain this faith from reading the word. Jesus said, if you have faith in God. Now see, there's the kicker. If you have faith in God. Well, most people don't have any faith in God. But if you do have faith in God and you believe He'll do what He said He'll do, He's fixing to tell you what you can do in, in verse 23. If you have faith in God, He says, you can speak to a mountain and command the mountain to be removed from here and cast into the sea. And He said, if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe those things that you say, the mountain will obey you. He says, so therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have whatever you say. Is that basically, I'm quoting that, but was that pretty close to what he said? Real close, okay. Then if Jesus said, if I can have whatever I say, then if I got my hands on this woman that's got a terribly burned arm, and I say, I said, he bore your pain, so you want to bear your pain. Then I said, he said in Mark uh, uh, 16, 18, I can lay hands on you and you'll get healed. But in Mark eleven twenty three, he said, whatever I say with my mouth. So woman, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, that's a pretty awesome statement to make, isn't it? 
I mean, you're stepping out on really way out on a limb, aren't you? But did I do what he said? See? I see the average person that, woo, this guy's lost it. No, no, no. I have faith in the, in the king of the universe. So almost immediately, the woman's pain's gone. He quits. The pain's not there no more. So now then, she said, oh, I don't understand. My arm quit hurting. Now, she's still got this big old burn, big old bruise, big old blisters and black marks. It looks awful. I mean, them blisters are up there half inch, look quarter inch or so. They're really big blisters full of water. But no pain. And so, they're going to take her to the doctor. She said, no, 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 Mom. It just quit hurting completely. So she said, I'm just going to go ahead and serve the evening meal in the cafeteria. She was a cafeteria cook. So she loaded up her sheet pan full of stuff and went up there and was serving meal in the cafeteria. And I went up there and had lunch with one of the guys. And when we walked in, he looked, he said, Edelina, what happened to your arm? Oh, she said, I burned it in the oven down there a while ago. He said, well, good grief, go to the doctor. She said, no, it don't hurt. It don't hurt. She goes home that night after she gets off work. Her husband sees it. He wants to take her to emergency. She won't go. It don't hurt. She says, if it bothers me in the morning, I'll go to the morning. See, she don't have no faith. I don't even know if she's saved or not. It's not her faith that's going to get her healed. It was mine. I spoke everything I did in faith. But that woman woke up the next morning and rolled over and looked at her arm. And there's not one single blister or mark on her arm the next morning. What kind of king do we serve, sir? Reckon he's pretty awesome? He's an awesome, awesome king. Hey! That's the king we serve. That lady come back to work that next afternoon. One of the little cooks that was sitting back there, Melanie was her name. She saw Edelina come in. She said, Edelina, how's your arm today? And she throwed her arm up and said, look. And Melanie screamed. She said, another answer to Thurman's prayers. I mean, why don't, why don't we all, if God's no respecter of persons... Why don't we all get a hold of this? If God will do those kind of things for me and He's no respecter of persons, who will He do them for? Anybody that has faith in Him. But you know what we do? We see some lady sitting here screaming, burning, and her arm is all that. Get the first aid kit. Let's put some oil on her. Let's put some cold water on her. Let's take her to the doctor. How about taking her to Jesus? He's the healer. I mean, is that right? What can the king do? Anything you can believe him for. How could God make a statement in Mark eleven twenty three like that if he wasn't big enough to fulfill what he said? How could he possibly say, if you have faith in me, you, anything you say with your mouth, if you believe with your heart, you can have it. Anything. I mean, he didn't put no restrictions on that, did he, ma'am? What a God. Do you think he must love his children? Ooh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to show you something else the king says. 1 Corinthians 3. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians 3. I must be wrong. Let's try 2 Corinthians 3 and see.
just a minute. I've got to find the scripture I want. Just one second. No, it is 1 Corinthians. I did make a mistake. It's 1 Corinthians 3. I want you to go to verse 21. It's just as good? Pretty good? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for a few things belong to you. What do you say there, brother? Oh, see, you've got to watch these preachers. They might read the word different than what's written in the book. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Well, what in the world is he talking about? All things. Well, let's read on. Whether you happen to be Paul, or you're Paulus, or whether you were Cephas or Peter, or whether you're the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. What did he give us as his children? Everything. He didn't cut us short on nothing. And ye are Christ, if you are Christ, if you're a child of God, and you're Christ, and Christ is God. So as a child of God, what belongs to us? All things. The world belongs to us. Life belongs to us. Death belongs to us. And he said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. He said, if you'll obey me and walk holy as my children and do what I say and open no doors to the devil, he said... I will watch over you. I will protect you. I'll give you this bunch of promises. And he said, you can walk in divine health. Now then, how do you know we can walk in divine health? Why don't you go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I want you to just listen. I want you to read in your Bible to see if your Bible says what I say. Second Peter chapter 1. He says, uh, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Now then, how many people do you know have the like precious faith that Peter had? We're all supposed to have it. All of us. Now, when Peter had like precious faith, what did Peter do? When he had this when he had this great faith, when Peter walked and his shadow fell over people, what happened to him? They got healed. The devils left them. When Peter and John walked up to the temple and a guy sitting there, I mean an old man, you know, about forty years old, old guy, but he'd been crippled all of his life, never walked. The devil had bound him all those years. And he's sitting there at the temple, all legs, all you know, out of shape, and sitting there and he says, Alms, 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 would you all please give me some money? Peter walked up to him and said, I don't have no silver and no gold. But what I got is a whole lot better than silver and gold. 
He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. That guy looked up at him. He said, what? Peter said, I said in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He reached out and grabbed that by the hand and jerked that devil right out of him. When he jerked him up, the guy jumped up and he said his legs were straight. And the guy went running up down the steps, leaping and praising God. Peter said to them that have obtained this kind of faith, that's who I'm talking to. It's a shame. There's not many of us left, is there? But we're going to be, aren't we? Absolutely. Now then he says, to them that have obtained this like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now see, this is through the righteousness of God. Is, is Jesus righteous? Absolutely beyond a doubt. He's the most righteous man ever walked on the earth. He is righteous. Then look what it says here. Grace. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How's that grace and peace going to be multiplied to you? Through the knowledge of God. How are you going to get that knowledge? Where can you get that? Read the Word. Study the Bible. Just exactly what we're doing right now. Then he says in verse 3, According as His divine power has given unto us a few things, what does that say, ma'am? Isn't it amazing how many times that word's in there? He has given unto us what? All things. What? Let's see. Well, if He's given us all things, what's He talking about? He's given us all things that pertain unto what? Life and godliness, again, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. Wow. Look at what He's given us. Then He says, Wherefore are given unto us these exceeding great and precious promises. Not just promises, but exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature or divine health. I mean, the divine nature of God. Do you think God's sick? Do you think God's sick, ma'am? Absolutely not. So if he's, if he's walking in divine health, then he says we can walk in divine health, right? Or at least that's what he said right there. Through these exceeding great and precious promises that he's given us, through these we can obtain this same divine nature that God has. I mean, he's strong. He ain't got a hard problem. He ain't got weakness. All we got to do is do what God says. Now, isn't it amazing what's written here? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature of God, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's just awesome. Will you stop and meditate on that a minute? That, he, 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 that must be a misprint. In my Bible, my, it must have been, somebody must have made a typo in there, and it must have been that a few of these things were given to us. But your Bible's got a typo in it too, doesn't it? That He's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
that if he's given us all these wonderful promises and all this written in his mighty word, if these things are us, given to us, well, I know what, I know what the thing is. It's got to be that sometimes when you take these awesome promises, you ask God for these things, sometimes God answers prayer, yes, and sometimes he answers it, no, and sometimes he says, well, maybe. I've heard preachers say that. But if God give us his exceeding great and awesome and precious promises, so by these we can become protectors of the divine nature or live in divine health, then if he's given us all things that pertain to life and health, the world, everything belongs to us, then there's got to be something wrong here. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20, and let's see if we're in Christ. Let's see how often God says no to his promises if you're a child of God, and how many times he said yes to you if you're an obedient child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20. So when we pray, we got to pray in faith. Now then, as we read this, let's think about what he said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. If you're in Christ, and he's made us these promises, and this gentleman up here on the front read real good a while ago. Could I get you to read those, sir, out of your Bible again and see? 2 Corinthians 1, 18, 19, and 20. All right. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, them shouting words. Yeah. Right. Is that right? That is. I mean, them shouting words. Yeah. Glory to God. So if you're in yeah. Christ, how many times are the promises yes to you, sir? How many? How many times are the promises of God yes to you? Every time? All, in verse 20, for all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Is that what he said? Woo! Amen! To the glory of God. I mean, you can't hardly beat that. I don't care what any, I don't care if you Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, whatever. There ain't but one way to interpret that. Is that right? I mean, I don't care. I mean, you know, I like, I, I got over this denomination stuff a long time ago and just started believing what the Word says. And if the Word says it, that's the one thing I've come to realize. That's just like when I, I started here a while back when Cheryl and I was given the privilege to go to Ireland to teach a bunch of Catholic people. I mean, you know, the, the King James Bible ought to be burned. Okay, okay, so I buy me a brand new Catholic Bible, and I go over there with a brand new Catholic Bible in my hand. Of course, eight hours on the trip from here to London, I spent eight hours marking all these promises. So when I opened it up, it looked like it had been used well. You know, they didn't know that the first time it had ever been opened. It was on that trip. I bought it brand new just before we went. But I wanted it to be well used. And then when I get there, they want to know what my opinion is about this or that. And I said, I don't have no opinions about nothing. I only got answers from the Catholic Bible. So I opened the Catholic Bible and read it. And I'm telling you, in the three days we was over there, we lit the fire of those Catholics. We had Bible studies in homes. And we took them these different things like this. 
And I mean, in the three days, we lit the fire of the Catholic Church in Ireland. I'm telling you people, hey, they've been deceived. It makes no difference what Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Church of Christ. It makes no difference. When you get a hold of God's Word, hey, we're children of the King. You know, but we get over, we, we can get over being a denomination when we begin to see these promises in God's Word. And to think, I went to church all my life, carried this Bible in my hand with all these promises and didn't know none of them. And didn't know none of them. But let me tell you, they're in there. These promises are in there. And since, just think, if all these promises are yes and amen, and, and every time you're a child of God, then what do we have to do as children of God, if we've got a sickness or a disease, what if all these spiritual blessings, healing and everything belongs to us, if we've got any kind of a physical problem, all you've got to do is get rid of your sin. And you know what a lot of your sins are? The sin of unbelief of the promises of God. You don't know them. You might have been raised up in a church like I was that didn't teach you these things. That you didn't know what they were. You never heard them taught. I mean, you can go to, you can go to a lot of churches and you can sit there every time the door is open and you'll never hear Mark eleven twenty three even read. Never. And then if you happen to be blessed like Kathy was, Kathy, when we led her to Jesus, and she got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and immediately the Lord baptized her, and she started talking in tongues, she wanted to tell everybody. But, you know, when she's up there in the Baptist church, tell them, hey, this is wonderful. I got this baptism. Uh, honey, just, you know, settle down. It'll all be okay in a little while now. You know, but let me talk to you. She's talking to you in tongues 90 miles. Uh, settle down. You're going to be okay in a little while. Isn't that amazing? They're trying to put a damper on her. But yet she's got this magnificent thing and says, we don't believe it's real. I told her, I said, don't worry about them, you know. I said, that's just the way they are. I said, they've been deceived by the enemy. God put on you the gift of salvation. Now he put the gift of the baptism on you. And that tongue, I said, you just keep praying and giving him the glory. Don't matter what anybody says. Just keep giving him glory. Well, she said, I can't understand why everybody don't want what I got. Well, she had it and she wanted it and she wants to keep it. Change her life forever. She won't never be the same. I mean, isn't it amazing how we put a damper on people? Now, what we ought to do is whenever they come in and get something, we ought to start keep building them up and say, Hey, praise God. Let's see what else in this book we can do. Yeah, let's do everything. But the Lord says there that we can become partakers of the divine nature or the divine health of God through these great and awesome, precious promises. Now, that great and awesome promise that I told you about a while ago, that is so great that I've used so many times. One more time, I want to take you back to this magnificent promise of Matthew eighteen nineteen. I want you to see, I want to build these things, I want you to get these things in your spirit. I want you to see that Jesus said, if two of us on earth agree about anything we ask Him for, it shall be done first by our Father, which is in heaven. Now, is that what the king said? Now then, what are the requirements there? In other words, remember this requirement. Always to God, He's always required us to be obedient to obey Him, right? I mean, you go back in the Old Covenant as far back as you can, and every promise He made to the children of Israel was after you obey Me. 
you obey me and walk in love and do what I tell you, then I, God, will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you can come and ask me for anything. I'll send rain in the right season. I'll bless you with crops and abundance. I'll bless your children. All those things were promises of our king to his children if they would obey. Well, he ain't never changed. He still lacks obedience. He lacks for us to obey. Now, that once we obey and walk in love and does do what he says, then that magnificent promise of Matthew eighteen nineteen will work for you. When you're walking in love, doing what he says, then he says, two of you on earth. The requirements are how many? Two. And you've got to be where? On earth. See? If two of you on earth agree about what? Anything you ask me for, maybe it will be done for you? Oh, okay. It shall be done. And who's it going to be done by? The Father in heaven. You can't get a better source than that, can you? That's absolutely right. So, when I used that verse to get Cheryl's feet uh, and arteries and everything open that night, but also I used that same, I've used that verse so many times, but of course, 11 years ago, I used that verse over Philip. He also worked for us now in the ministry. This was a little boy at 11 years of age at the time with all those warts all over his body. I mean, whenever they brought him to me or I went to their home, he had warts in his eyebrows, all across his eyelids, all over his face, all up in his nose, all over his neck, mouth, everywhere. The ones all around his mouth and neck was big as the end of your finger. Huge warts. Had them all over the palms of his hands, on the back of his head, up underneath his fingernails. Burned two big rows of them off the back of his right hand. Had warts all over his body. He hated it. I told him, I said, son, you can, if you don't come to God in faith, you'll take those to your grave. But I said, if you come to God in faith, and we repent of our sins and do what he says, I guarantee you, we can get them off. So, it's 11 years ago. So, I took that little boy, got his mother and dad to repent of all their sins. I spent two and a half hours building their faith. And then I asked Philip, I said, son, do you believe that Jesus, I've been reading about out of this book, now can take these warts off of your body and scars? He said, Mr. Scrivener, after what I've heard you read out of that book today, I believe Jesus can do anything. Now, see, he can, and that's the kind of faith our king's looking for. So, I knelt in the floor with him and his mom and dad and little sister, and I used that magnificent promise of Matthew 18, 19. And I raised my hand and I asked the Father, in the name of Jesus, to take all of Philip Wren's warts and scars off of his body. And I thanked him for doing it. Now then, did he say, i got to ask in faith? With no doubt, right? So I stood up and I said, his mother said, when are they going to come off? I said, that's the only thing God don't tell me. But I guarantee you on the word of the living God that in a few days, Philip will not have a wart or a scar on his body. Now, what kind of faith does it take to make a statement like that, man? Huh? It takes faith, doesn't it? But after all, sir, I mean, who was it that told me I could do this? Some fly-by-night cowboy? I mean, who is this God in here? Our Father. Hey, that's it. He is our King. So, if he can make me a promise like that, I would only be a fool if I didn't believe him, right? Do you remember? He said in James 1, 6 and 7, if you don't pray in faith, you're double-minded. I ain't going to do nothing for you. Isn't that what he said? I ain't going there. 
So I'm going to guarantee Philip and his mother and dad that in a few days Philip will not have a wart or a scar on his body because Jesus said if two of us agree about anything, it's done. And it was four of us. Actually, five of us. Four of them and the family and me. And so I, I told them, I said, guarantee something else too. When I, start, when I leave here tonight, I guarantee there'll be a devil come in here and he'll put a thought in your mind. Now, you don't really believe just because that old gray-headed man came over here and spoke a few of those statements into the air that those warts and scars are really going to come off his body. Remember, you took him to the doctor, they burned them off, and they came right back into scars. So you don't think just because he prayed, they're going to come off. I said, don't you believe that, devil? You open the Bible and say, Jesus said, and you read what Jesus said. I said, if you'll stay in faith with me, I guarantee those warts and scars will be gone shortly. So I left. The next morning, Mama come checked him. The warts on the ends of his fingers were gone overnight. Over the next three weeks, every wart on Philip's body disappeared. And the fourth Sunday, when she came back to church, no scars. Today, Philip's 21. Oh, that's right. Excuse me. That's right. 22. That's right. He's 22. Had a birthday. He's 22. He works for us in the ministry. He makes all these tapes and stuff and everything that y'all will be taking home with you today that's free. And him and his lovely little wife. And he, in fact, one day I walked up to Krista. And I said, Krista, you sure married a good-looking boy. And she said, well, I think so. And I said, but you know, what would you think if I told you he used to have warts in his eyes, all over his face, all over his nose, all over his hands? She said, ooh. I said, would you want to kiss an old boy like that? She said, no. I said, oh, that's what he used to look like. She said, Phil. He said, yep, unfortunately. She said, what happened? He said, he came over and prayed for me 11 years ago, and God took them all off. Do we serve an awesome Jesus? I mean, after all, he made the promises, didn't he, ma'am? So, I mean, and this, this old nonsense that we've been taught in church that this stuff was only for the apostles. You know, I used to believe that lie. But then I kept looking for the place where he said this only was given to the apostles. And I thought, whoa, there's something here that don't click because I can't find this. All through the book of Acts, all the men did all these wonderful things. I thought, there's something wrong here. And then, let's just read a few more of these promises. Since we read over in Second Peter because of these exceeding great and precious promises, we can become partakers of the divine nature. Turn to John 15:7. Let's see what John 15:7 says. John 15, 7. See what you think you might get done with that. Now, John 15, 7 has a requirement. Not only in obedience, but John 15, 7 has a requirement. If, it's got an if in it, a big one. John 15, 7. Doesn't it have a pretty big if? Yes, it does. If my words remain in you, and you abide in me. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then, he says, you can ask for some little bitty things, and if you're lucky, I'll give them to you. John 15:7. What did he say? What can you ask for? Wait a minute now. That couldn't be. You must have misread that now. I know. You mean the king would give us a promise with no restrictions? 
Hey, wait a minute. That's dangerous when you start reading these kind of verses, brother. You know, you might get healed. You know it. <laughs> Ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. Ooh, is that good news or that good news? That's good news. See, now that's the very verse. I was telling this couple earlier at break. That is the very verse. If you haven't heard the CD, It's Supernatural, uh, Caitlin's Miracle, that Sid Roth done. It's a 30-minute DVD. And if you hadn't heard the teachings on Caitlin's Miracle, you need to get those and listen to those because I will tell you every verse in the entire story over a, a two- or three-hour teaching of what I did and how I got my granddaughter and Kelly healed. Because just to show you how these things work, five years ago when I walked into the hospital at Cook's Medical Center, my little granddaughter had been in a car wreck and Kelly, a little friend of hers, well, Kelly was six and Caitlin was three and this, uh, Caitlin, she was really bad, but Kelly, she wasn't quite so bad, but in the car wreck, it had busted all of her head open right here, laid it back, and it had crushed both of her pelvics. Now, the doctor said, if she lives, now see, there's an if, she lives, she'll have brain damage, and it'll be two and a half to three months minimum before she can walk with a walker. Well, now, if you got a promise like I'm going to quote to you and go to you, when John 15 right there, turn right across the page to John 16, 23 and 24. And these are the two promises I use for Kelly. John 16, 23 and 24. Now, when you turn to John 16, 23 and 24, it says something like this. Jesus is talking again. He says, before this day, you have asked me for nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask the Father in my name anything and He'll do it for you, so therefore you can ask anything in my name, and He will do it so that your joy may be full. Now, is that pretty close to what that said? So what kind of limitations do you have with John 16, 23, and 24 if you're a son or daughter of God? What can you get from the King? What? I mean, goodness gracious, how many times do you have to say this? So, I said, Father... In the name of Jesus, on behalf of John 16, 23, and 24, I ask you to do a supernatural healing on little Kelly. I ask you to put her brain back together, fix it. Don't want no brain damage at all. Do you say I could ask anything? Well, I'm not going to say, oh, Lord, please just let her live. Absolutely, that'd be foolish. Not with a promise like that. I, Father, I want no brain damage. I want her to be supernaturally good. I want her little head healed. And then, Lord, I ask you to put those little pelvics back together that they say is going to be two and a half to three months minimum before she can stand with a walker. I don't want that. I want a supernatural healing because you're the king of the universe. I want you to do a supernatural healing and I want to do something so great, according to John 16, 23, and 24, those two exceeding great and precious promises, so we can become partakers of the divine nature. I want you to do this for her so everybody will know you did it, so you will be glorified. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. Turned to everybody and said, guarantee she'll be out here nothing flat. And you know, they look at you and say, he's a grandfather in denial. No, I'm a man of faith. I believe the Word. Well, in one week, Kelly was out of ICU. And one more week, she's walking with a walker. And three days later, she's back in school running and playing without nothing. Now, would you say God heard my prayer? Oh, did He? What did He say I could ask for, brother? Hey, so why not ask Him? Why not stand on His Word? 
See His glory. He said all the promises are yes and amen, didn't He? Absolutely. So I just believe Him. I said, thank you. And of course, I'm telling everybody, praise God. You know, she's going to be out here nothing flat. And they think, oh boy, is he crazy. No, I'm a man of faith. I believe the Word. So, <clears throat> three months later, I'm at a birthday party. And she's there. I said, Kelly, honey, how you doing? She calls me Mr. Thurman. She said, Mr. Thurman, I'm doing great. But she pulled her little bangs up and said, look at these two scars. I hate these two big old scars where my head was tore open. I said, oh, honey, Jesus, he don't want them scars on your head either. But he can't take them off till somebody prays in faith. See, God can't do nothing till we pray in faith. So I said, let's turn to John 14, 13 and 14. Another set of these awesome promises. John 14, 13 and 14. And look and see what he says in John 14, 13 and 14. John chapter 14, verse 13, 14. Something like this, that you ask the Father in my name anything, and He'll do it for you. So therefore, you can ask the Father in my name anything, and He'll do it. Is that basically what that says, sir? Another one of them double whammies, isn't it? Two times back to back, ask the Father in my name. Ask Him for what? Oh, Ooh, that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, so anyway, we've got to get over this old unbelief stuff someday. So anyway, I said, okay. I said, right there, Father. Right there, you made me two promises. I said, I said Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to take off them scars off of Kelly's forehead. Two big old scars went from side to side where her head had been busted up. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. I said, Kelly, remember, honey, you got to believe. Oh, she said, Mr. Thurman, you pray the prayer of faith for me. It's done. Next morning, she gets up, runs in the bathroom, gets up, stands up on a stool, looks in the mirror, and throws her hair back, said, look, Mama, just what I thought. They're not as bad this morning as they was yesterday. Is that faith? In a six-year-old girl? That's faith. But does God honor faith? Yes, He does. And guess what? Thirty days later, no scars on her forehead. They're gone. Does God do good work, ma'am? He honors His Word, doesn't He? Ooh! But now, Caitlin, she was a little worse. Not much worse, just a little. The only thing wrong with her was her face was tore all to pieces, had huge lacerations all over it. All the bones around her eyes were crushed. Her face was twice its size. Her skull was crushed in five places. Her eyes were jerked out of her brain. And her brain stem was severed. Her lungs were crushed, her right knee crushed, and her left leg broken in two places. And they said, it's impossible. She's a goner. I said, nope. I don't buy that. John fifteen seven. I stood on that verse. The Word was in me and I was in Him. What did you say I could ask for? Anything. Anything. So I said, Father... On behalf of John fifteen seven, I ask you to raise up Caitlin and do such a mighty miracle on her. Everybody will know only you could have done it. And I thanked him and praised him again to worship him and praise him that night. Now, the pressure also on her brain that night was 20. Now, I didn't know what that meant at the time, but the guy walked up to me a few minutes after I got there and said, Sir, Caitlin's pressure on her brain is 20. I said, well, yeah, I see that number there, but it don't mean nothing to me. 
He said, well, that's not critical. That's critical, critical. So she's going to decease any minute. I said, there's not one single chance this little girl's going to die. Not one. I said, she's going to run and declare the glory of God. I got Jesus as my Savior, and I got a book full of promises. I said, I guarantee she'll be out of here in nothing flat. And she'll be running and playing again. And so he looks at you. Okay. And he leaves. And so, the very next Monday, Monday week later, the Dr. Marks, head of neurology, comes in and he says, I do not know how this little girl has lived this week. But he said, I've just done a second MRI on her this morning. See, this is the way the devil will get you to believe him instead of God's word. Even after nine days of laying there in the hospital, they'd done a second MRI. And the second MRI confirmed there was nothing attached to her brain. Nothing. Dr. Mark said, I don't see how she's lived. But he said, this week, we will pull the tubes out of her, the breathing tube, and when we do, she will decease. I said, Dr. Marks, she's going to live, and she's going to be normal, supernaturally normal. He said, sir, that's not possible. I said, oh, yeah. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, good. My Jesus was a Jew. He's the greatest physician in the universe. I said, he made me a book full of promises. I'm standing on those promises. And I said, I'm going to guarantee you, when you pull the tubes out of Caitlin, she's not going to die. She's going to live. He said, well, I hope you're right. But said, there's not a single chance. I said, there's another thing that's wrong with you. You hope. And that's too far down in the sentence. Faith is what makes it work. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. I said, without faith, nothing works. But with faith, nothing is impossible. He looked at me and thought, wow. I said, you'll see. So, Thursday, that was Monday. Thursday, Dr. Davis comes up and says, Mr. Scribner, you're the only man I've ever met in my life that absolutely refuses to accept reality. You know when we pull them tubes out of her in a few minutes, she's going to die. The devil's trying to do it to you through your own people, own Christians. She's a Christian woman. I said, ma'am, you have trained yourself with your five physical senses, but I've trained myself with the Word. I said, now I'm going to guarantee you on the Word of God, when all these doctors and nurses get around her and y'all get ready, I'm going to guarantee you because of John 15, 7, When you pull those tubes out of her, she's not only going to breathe, she's going to breathe over the machine on her own, and she's going to cough. I guarantee it in the name of Jesus. And they again think you're crazy. But they pull the tubes, and she breathed two points over the machine on her own, and she started coughing. Well, isn't that amazing that God's Word really works? When you stand on these promises with no doubt. You know how hard it is to believe something when the doctor just said, we just done a second MRI and there's nothing attached to her brain? Nothing? So if we pull the tubes out here, guarantee she's going to die? What kind of faith does it take to believe the Word instead of them? Bold faith. Bold faith. But when you believe God, does He like bold faith? 
Yes. In fact, in Hebrews 4.16, the king says, oh, let's go over and see what he said. Hebrews 4.16. He says, in times of need, you can come weekly up here and ask me whatever you want. Or ask me for a few things. Let's see what Hebrews 4.16 says. Let's see how he tells you to come to him as his son or daughter. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. How, do you're supposed to, how are you supposed to come to the throne of grace? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hey, that's a good news for a guy like you, right, brother? Right. He didn't tell you to come up there begging and pleading, did he? He told you to come in as a son of God and say... Holy Lord, you made me these promises. Now, praise God, that devil's beat up on my heart. But I'm getting a new one today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Is that what the king told you to do? He told you to come boldly in there and tell him what you need. Lord, thank you. You made me these promises. Now, Lord, I got every sin. And Lord, I, first of all, I got to repent of my sins of unbelief. Because I've got sins of unbelief. That's where we live as Christians. Lord, I repent. I repent for my sins of unbelief. I know with you nothing is impossible. I know you can do all things. Do you believe God can do all things? Do you really? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. With God, nothing's impossible, is it? Correct. Absolutely correct. Glory to God. Why? Because He made you a promise. He said in Luke one thirty-seven, with God all things are possible. In Titus 1, 2, he says, God cannot lie. He is not a man that he should lie. But if it's written in the Word, you can trust it. And you can overcome the forces of darkness that's here on this earth running around, stealing, killing, and destroying us, God's children. If you don't get your healing immediately, don't waver. That's the problem. I mean, you we're spoiled rotten. We want it right now. I mean, we're the only race of people that's ever been on the earth that can reach up and put something in the microwave and stand there and say, hurry up, I need it right now. We're the, I mean, before, I mean, just think, my son would never have made it if we had to go, if he come to my house and I had to go out and send somebody out to kill the fatted calf. And cut some steaks off of it and then build a fire and cook it so he could eat. I mean, he would have done been starved to death by that time. When he comes, he wants the steaks thawed out on the grill, half cooked when he gets there. So in five minutes, he can eat. That's the way your son is too, isn't it, honey? He likes to eat too. When he likes to eat, he comes to come in, he likes to eat, eat him. He don't want to wait either. He's just as impatient as the rest of us. That's the way we are. I mean, We are not people of patience, but that's where we miss it. Now then, Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, I want you to go there. After you've been prayed for, after we stand on God's mighty word, I want you to see what you need to do after you've been prayed for. Now, Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, somebody that wants to read that, you read that to me. Who would like to read that? 
Well, I can't get the switch on. There it is. Who wants to read it? Anybody? Anybody got? Here, let me just let Cheryl read it up here. She's close. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience. I think he's speaking to me. <laughs> that for you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God you might receive the promise okay now do not throw away your confidence in the word now when we stand on these promises of God if we don't throw away our confidence in the word and but we remain faithful and we remain patient and standing on the Word, after we've done the will of God, what do you say we're going to receive? The promise. So maybe maybe you've got something that's in your life that He's trying to straighten up or change. And maybe it just might be, and a lot of people that are sick and afflicted. I had a man in my ministry center just this last couple of weeks that his problem was he had not been willing to get in the Word. And a few years ago, and he's, when he was about 45, he started coming down with different sicknesses. A great Christian guy goes to church and never had, hardly ever studied the Word. But after he started coming down with sickness and the doctors came to find out what's wrong with him, or they started telling him all kinds of weird things that could be wrong with him, he thought, you know, I need to go to the Word and find out what God has to say about this. And guess what it did? It drove him to the Word. And after three or four years of dedicated study of the Word, he began to see these great and awesome promises. And when he came to me, I said, now then, that you've got in the Word and you've done what God said. I said, if you had never come down to sickness, I said, you would have been so involved in your business, you would have never got in the Word, would you? He said, I hate to say it, but I said, you're probably right. He said, my problem drove me to see what God had to say about this. And he said, I've learned a lot in the last four years reading this Bible. Well, I told him, I said, now then, that we go, and I spent another two or three hours with him. I said, I guarantee if we take these promises and pray over you, I guarantee you the Lord will heal you. I said, now then, you've got to go do what he said. So, I mean, I've seen it over and over and over. You know, people that get sick and flicked. In fact, I had a man come to me a, a year ago, maybe a year ago. This guy had already spent a million dollars on his body. He's got carpal tunnel, can't do nothing with his hands. He's got a heart problem, and he's got cancer, and they want to give him chemo and radiation, and he's a basket case. And his preacher brings him over to me. And I spent six hours with those two men that afternoon, that day. And then I asked him, I said, are you ready to be healed? He said, man, yes. Uh, his faith is up there. I said, well, stand up. And he started to get up, and I just lunged out of my chair. And I put one hand behind him and hit him right in the chest. I said, come out of him, you devil of hell. I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. He jumped back. He said, what are you doing? I said, you're healed. Guarantee it. Instantly, his carpal tunnel was gone. He could do anything he wanted to his hands right there, right there, right there. A few days later, he called me and he said, Thurman, that doctor called and said, I need to come down to MD Anderson to see how extensive the chemo and radiation I need to take. I said, you going to believe God or are you going to believe them? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you go down there, you're going to show unbelief. I said, you believe you're healed? He said, yes. I said, then don't go. Believe God. 
He said, well, I do feel good. I said, well, it don't have nothing to do with it. The Word's what heals you. He said, I believe him. I'm going to believe God. So two, three, four months comes and goes, and he, he came into my church. He said, praise God I'm here. Of course, he was driving about 80 miles to come to my church. He was driving a long ways, maybe further than that. One day he came in and he said, Thurman, they keep bugging me. They want me to come down there and let them. See, they cannot believe I'm healed. I said, I know they're normal doctors. But I said, do you believe you're healed? He said, absolutely. I said, okay, you're okay. Now, now you can go down and let them prove it. So he went down there and next Sunday he come to church. He said, no cancer. It's gone. I'm healed. See? He trusts God. What does he do when you trust him? He does exactly what he said. He always does. God cannot lie to us. He made us this book full of promises, and He told us. Now, the first thing He told us to do, too, let's go and let me show you how you walk in divine health. Now, this is a kicker. This is really difficult. But if you go to 1 Peter 2.21, and you'll see how you can walk in divine health and what you have to do, and this is really tough. I mean, most people don't think you can walk here at all. The average church member, they said, that's impossible. I cannot do that. And I can understand why they say that. But God said you can. 1 Peter 2.21. When you get to 1 Peter 2.21, we'll read that. For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Okay, when you first start out up there, what's the first thing he said? This is an example that I left for you to follow. Is that what he said? This is the example I left for you to follow. And what is the example? The example was Christ, and in Christ, how much sin is there in Christ? No sin in Christ. So what, what are you supposed to do? How much sin are you supposed to have in your life? None. Now then, does that take some effort? Guarantee that takes some effort to walk right there. But obviously, it is something that's obtainable as a child of God. If it hadn't been obtainable, He wouldn't have told us to do that, would He? So, He says, if you will take my example and you'll walk like I did, He said, there will be no sin in your life. Because this is the example I left for you to follow. That in me, there was no sin. So you're not supposed to have any sin either. Now he says, and there's also not supposed to be any deceit or any guile in your mouth. You know, most of us, the only way we can do that is put about three layers of heavy-duty duct tape around our mouth. I made that statement down in the South Texas here a while back, and it was a contractor there, and he spoke up and said, I need a roll around my mouth. I said, no, okay. But you know where I'm coming from. He said, yes, that would be so hard. He said, out of work with all these contractors and all these guys, he said, man, 
I said, well, all I know, that's what God says. You know, you're going to have to do just like me. I said, we're going to have to do that. No guile, no deceit. Even when he was threatened, he didn't retaliate. He just turned them over to him that judges righteously the Father. That's pretty tough to do too, isn't it? But he, that's the example. And then he says, then, he, you, in other words, since he died on the cross for you, so that you, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. Now see, according to God, he sees you and me dead to sin. He said, since we're dead to sin, we should live to righteousness. Is that what he said? Since he says we're dead because of what he did, you're dead to sin. And so he said, live to righteousness because you're dead. That's the way I see you, dead to sin. So you live to righteousness. And if you do all those things right there, then what did he say would happen to your body? By my stripes, you're what? Ooh, so if we walk according to the Word, we're going to walk according to His divine nature, and how much sickness and disease is going to come up on our body? None. You get to walk all your life in divine health. No sickness, no disease. If you just do it God's way. Now then, if you know that He said that, He said, I'm a faith God. And this is the victory that overcomes the world in 1 John 5. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith or our trust in His Word. So, if this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. We walk according to the Word. If the Word says that we walk in obedience to it, then by His stripes we are healed, then what we should do is receive Jesus by faith as our healer. Now then, how did you receive Jesus as your Savior? By faith. In other words, Turn to Romans 10, 8 and 9. Romans 10, 8 and 9. And let's see what those two scriptures say. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. Romans 10, 8 and 9. Romans 10, 8 and 9. When you get there. But what does it say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Where is it at? It's near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. The Word of faith that we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and will believe in your heart, the Father raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that what it says? Okay, you know the word saved there in the Greek? You know what that word is? Sozo. S-O-Z-O. Now the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, means five or six things. Normally, I translate it saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. And some translations also says health. But anyway, if the word sozo means saved, that's how we got saved. We confess with our mouth and believe with our heart. So, if the word means, sozo means saved, and it also means healed, which it does, then by faith, when you receive and confess with your mouth, Jesus is your healer, and you believe that in your heart, when you receive that by faith, and that's the very exact place I was reading 20 years ago when I learned the meaning of the word sozo, And that night I learned the word sozo is used 120 times in 103 different verses in the Greek New Testament. 
I read them all. I mean, every one of them. At the end of the night, I said, Lord, I am more confused right now than I've ever been. If this means what it says, then I was healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. I was healed. So, Lord, if that's true, and I believe it is, why have I been sick so many times since I've been saved since I was 11? And he spoke to me audibly and said, because you have never received me by faith as your healer. I said, Lord, I receive you as my healer right now. I receive you as my healer by faith. It's written in the Word. It's near me. It's in my mouth and my heart. I receive you just like I did salvation. I received you by faith when I was 11 and I was saved. And I'm going to be saved forever because I'm going to walk with you and walk in obedience to your Word. And so right now, tonight, Lord, I am receiving you as my healer by faith in your word, and from this day forth, I will never have another sick day. And I've been telling people ever since that same glorious statement, and I have never been sick since that day. Not one. Never been sick. Isn't God awesome? In other words, when you walk in faith, there's no devil of hell can touch you. When you walk in full faith, there's no devil can touch you. See, the, the promises are there, aren't they? Aren't they awesome? Awesome. So, see, you see, with these kind of promises, <coughs> with these kind of promises, ain't no use in you going home without being totally healed today when you leave, right? After all, what I've been teaching out there is not my words, it's His words, right, brother? Everywhere we've been, we just hit a few things today. In the four hours today, we've been here. We just hit a few things. We just touched the surface. That's why I've got teachings back there that you can listen to for hours and hours and hours and hours about all these things all over this book. Don't go home without a sack full of them. It'll get you a bunch of them. You sure can't beat the price. There ain't no place else you can go to a minister and teach you what we teach. Get what we teach you for the price. We get. We sell it to you. That's for sure. I mean, I went to a healing deal here a while back. And there was a man, had a, a big old deal there, had about eight uh, or nine, eight, what was it, two, four, yeah, eight, eight cassette tapes in it, and it was $100. I bought one because I wanted to hear what he had to say. I bought one of them, 100 bucks. Well, I give, I'll let you have eight over there, and I won't charge you a penny for them. You can just take your side and get all you want. No problem, because you can't beat the price of our stuff. And that's one thing people can't say about me. Well, Scrivener's trying to get rich by making these teachings and selling them. <clears throat> no, I'm making these things and giving them away. You know, and guess what? The Lord is making us, well, I'm, he, we are all rich because He's our Father. But I will have to say, I never ask anybody for money. I don't never go on television and ask for money. I don't ever ask you for money. I just give those things to you. But all i got to say is, and when we send out our stuff, we don't never send out a second request for somebody to send us money. We, we send you a teaching. We put an envelope in there, addressed. If you want to send us a check, that's good. If you don't, that's the only thing you'll ever hear from us again. And guess what? God pays all of our bills every week. Every week, He pays all of our bills. Isn't He awesome? He's awesome. As long as you're about... And guess who does all the healing, too? He does it, too. I all I do is teach you the Word and pray the prayer of faith for you. He does all the rest. And it's so wonderful to see God do all these wonderful things He does.
Now then, the prom- I've hit enough promises that anybody, anybody today that needs to be healed, all you've got to do is repent of your sins and believe God. And then if you'll not, cast away your confidence of word and remain with it and stay with it and continue to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I'm healed. Now, you want to make sure you get a copy of the teachings on the tongue. You want to make sure you listen to the tongue. You know, because you've got to learn how to talk. If you don't learn how to talk, you can't walk in divine health. You know, I mean, uh, there was a man came to me the other day, and he said, I want you to pray for my, and he called whatever it was, Lyme disease or cancer or whatever. My, I said, I can't get you healed. I said, you're claiming this. Okay, he had to repent and everything, and we prayed for him. And then in a few minutes, his wife said, well, what if his Lyme disease comes back? I said, man, you're going to have to learn how to talk too. You ain't going to keep him healed as long as you talk like that. She said, we're going to have to be totally retrained. I said, absolutely. Absolutely. But the reason they were there is because a few weeks before, their daughter, which was incurable, she came over and she got healed and totally set free. And let me tell you, when Daddy Mama saw what happened in her life the next two or three weeks, let me tell you, they came to our church. Because he wanted a shot of what she got. He wanted to be healed too. He'd only had this sickness 14 years. And he's claiming it. But when you pray in faith and learn how to talk, the promises are there. I mean, God will give you a brand new heart. He'll give you brand new organs. He'll give you whatever. I mean, He can heal anything. He put Caitlin's brain stem back together. He reconnected her disconnected eyes from her brain. The doctor said, there's nobody can put those eyes back in that brain. I said, Jesus can put them back in there. And He did. <clears throat> and she's a little eight-year-old girl today. And for a little girl that could never move, that the knee that was crushed could never operate, for a broken left leg in two places, without a single surgery, today she can outrun any girl in the second grade. Is God awesome or is He awesome? Hey, all you got to do is believe Him. You know what kind of faith it takes when that doctor says, I didn't think that little girl would live. If I'd have thought she'd have lived that first day when I come in and x-rayed her and that knee's crushed, she said, I'd have done surgery right then. I said, well, I'm glad you didn't because now you're not going to. He said, but i got to do surgery on that knee. She won't ever walk. He said, we've got to go in there and put pins and screws in that knee. I said, no. You put pins and screws in that knee, she'll have to have surgery two or three times before she gets grown. When Jesus fixes it, he ain't never going to have to do nothing. I said, he ain't going to charge me no money for it either. And so he could not believe I was going to let that knee heal on its own with a crushed knee. But I did. And today it's perfect. And she can run. I mean, she takes grandma. She comes over to the miniature center and grabs grandma. I said, where's grandma? I said, she's in there. She comes and gets her by the hand. Let's go to the mailbox. And she will take grandma and Angel, the little dog, and they run a half a mile to the mailbox and back. I'm telling you. And when they come back, grandma's tongue's hanging out. <laughs> and the dog. <laughs> she runs them, I'll tell you for sure. She's fast. Isn't it wonderful to see God do these wonderful things? He's the king. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, we've had another healing school, another day of your word, and showing people what you said you would do. And Lord, help them to repent and believe these promises so they also can receive their healing today and walk in divine health. Lord, I praise you and thank you for your word, which is always yes and amen for those of us that believe. It cannot fail. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for these great and awesome promises. Now, Lord, bless us. And bless everyone. And Lord, I rebuke every devil of hell so when people leave, that devil will not be able to steal a single word out of their mind or their heart. 
But I ask you, Father, to lock these words in their minds, their hearts, their spirits, so that they will be able to retain them there, so they'll be able to stand on your word for their healing. And I thank you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, if you need to be prayed for, all you need to do is come up here. We will pray for you. And then all you got to do is believe God with me, and you will get your healing from the Lord.